you may never look your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. I'm Doug Hagman, of course, at the helm with a fellow investigator researcher and my son, Joe Hagman. Together we are America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. We broadcast live every weeknight. That's Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time right here on the Global Star Radio Network. I want to thank you, every, each and every one of you, for joining us. Now, links to our audio, video, all the venues because we do broadcast live on YouTube as well and live on Blog Talk Radio, BTR as well. You can go to HagmanandHagman.com. That's our Internet uh, show page, HagmanandHagman.com. And, of course, uh, HagmanReport.com is our other, well, that's the news information and show prep, if you will. And uh, just don't forget, we have two different websites. Bookmark them both. We dig deep into topics that the corporate mass media does not in this headline rich environment we look beyond the headlines we look beyond the sound bites and sound clips and the bs that's offered and provided to us uh compliments of the of the corporate captured corporate mass media controlled mass media joe i'm gonna toss it to you it's we got a great show we got, we got a, we got a busy we got week a, lined up we got yeah. a great show lined up for you tonight we got a fantastic week lined up for you tonight we have uh tonight from FTMDaily.com, followthemoneydaily.com, Jerry Robinson. He's going to be with us all three hours talking about the 9-11 connection to Saudi Arabia, the $750 billion in assets threatened by Saudi Arabia to, to be removed from the United States government. Also this yeah, week, what you think of that? tomorrow, we will be joined by uh, Ammon Bundy's wife and Clive Bundy's wife uh-huh. for uh-huh. the first two hours, followed by Stan Day on hour number three. On Wednesday, we are going to have our uh, roundtable discussion with Pastor Flip Benham, Pastor David Langford, and a few others. But that means Thursday will be... Thursday's open lines. Right, right. And then Friday, we will be joined by Steve Quayle and 
Greg to Eason. my great surprise, Greg <laughs> Evenson. I was shocked when I saw that on the schedule because last time I heard Greg Evenson wasn't doing so well health-wise, but to see that he's on the lineup to come on air. Yeah, uh, he, he bounced, he, he's, he's, you know, he's awesome. still not like 100%, obviously, but but he, he feels the need to come on, and we want to give him that opportunity, Joe, right? I mean, Absolutely. Uh, it's been a while since we had a chance to talk to him. Uh, he's been in our prayers. His family's been in our prayers. His wife had a heart attack, but we were at the Hear the Watchman conference That's in right. Dallas. That's right. And uh, things looked pretty bleak uh, when we got that news. Well, they, they put a, they, they, they did open her artery. They put a stent in, so that was a good thing. Um, but, yeah, so Steve and Greg Evenson will be with us on Friday. But tonight, Jerry Robinson, again, follow the money daily, ftmdaily.com is his website. Yep. And he is joining us tonight for all three hours. We're, we got a lot to talk about. Jerry uh, is an author, speaker. And he is a uh, an economist, and I'll let him. I'll bring him on and let him explain to the audience exactly what his profession. Everything uh, he does, man. He, he's yeah. a man of many talents. But uh, we had the honor of doing a roundtable at yeah. the Prophecy in the News conference with him and Paul McGuire, my father and myself, and that was just a lot of fun. That's where we met Jerry at. Was down there in, in Florida last year. And it's been uh, great ever since. He's been a, a guest uh, on our show a number of times and has brought in much to the table. Jerry, uh, welcome to the program. It's so great to be back. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the good work you guys do, and I'm really excited about tonight. Yeah, we are, too. We, you know, folks, uh, J- Jerry's got uh, his own um, audio venue, his own audio. Um, in, in fact, Jerry, why don't you, why don't you tell our audience about, uh, about your audio um, your broadcast oh, sure you bet yeah so the name of our uh, website is simply followthemoney.com followthemoney.com will get you there we have a few different websites but that gets you right to our website our company is follow the money our website or our, our podcast is follow the money weekly it's a weekly program we look at mainly trends we i run a trend that you know follow the money itself is a trend research Firm, we we examine market trends, economic trends, geopolitical trends. We started back in 2003 uh, as mainly a ministry. Since that time, our ministry has blossomed, and we are now uh, running this trend research firm in addition to our ministry. So it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And uh, uh, and so what we do is we track the markets, we watch the stock markets, we watch the commodity and currency markets, we watch the ETF markets, and then we watch also, certain geopolitical things that impact, you know, our wallet, impact uh, also our faith. You know, our faith is so connected now to our money. It's so sad. Uh, you know, God knew that uh, money would be the chief competitor for our heart. That's why he placed more than 2,350 verses in the Bible about money, wealth, and possessions because he knows that it's the chief competitor for our heart. And so we worship money today. In America, we worship money. Anywhere you are in the world, we worship money. Money is a god, and uh, so it's one of those things where it's we re- we really need special wisdom when it comes to finances. We really need wisdom today because there are so many lies. That's what we're committed to doing. We track the markets, we track these trends, but we do it from a spiritual perspective that is very unique. Yes, you do. And uh, folks, sign up for the newsletter and bookmark ftmdaily.com and listen to the podcast Jerry puts out because he does a great job analyzing the geopolitical and financial world 
through the Christian perspective. And that's what we do here at the Hagman and Hagman Report. We look at what's going on in the world and the news and current events through a biblical perspective, through a Christian perspective. And uh, sometimes it's horrifying through that lens to see what's going on in our world today. Uh, we got a, a lot to get into. Let's start with the um, topic of the show, 9-11, Saudi Arabia's involvement, the 28 pages of the redacted 9-11 commission, and the law for the families to be able to sue the Saudi Arabian government for their involvement in 9-11. What do you make of all this? Let's start with the lawsuit first, the family suing, uh, being able to sue the Saudi government. What do you think about that? Well, I think I think that uh, it's really sad because er- earlier today I had the great honor of interviewing uh, Senator Bob Graham. He is an individual who left the Senate the United States Senate in 2005. He is from the state of Florida. He was a governor of Florida. He was the senator of Florida. Uh, he left in 2005. But during his tenure there at the Senate, he actually uh, was the head or the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And if you know how Washington worships the uh, warfare state, you know that the Senate Intelligence Committee is one of the king's chairs in Washington. So this guy had a very interesting vantage point. He a vantage point from which to view the world. And so he knows a lot of things that you and I will never know because they're classified. He also sat upon the 9-11 inquiry, uh, the congressional or the Senate inquiry, and that was, um, he was the co-chair. Yeah, he was the co-chair of that. So he actually had a hand in writing the 28 pages that people are now, you know, clamoring to get released. It's ironic that since Bob Graham has left uh, Washington in 2005, he has been working tirelessly, writing books, and trying to help the American people by getting these 28 pages that contained who financed 9-11 to the American people so they can see them. And that's really what this is all about. There are 28 pages that the Bush administration in 2002, and before everybody shuts down with their Bush Obama, let's make sure that we remember that Republicans and Democrats are all the same in the end because they all serve the same corporate masters. So let's not get let's not get funny about Republicans and Democrats. Anyway, it was the Bush administration in 2002 that had those 28 pages sealed. They had them sealed. Now, if you go to uh, online, if you look at a website like 28pages.org, uh, they're a, simply an organization that's trying to raise awareness about the 28 pages. If you go there, they have quotes of the congressmen and the senators who have read the 28 pages. There are many of them, but not very many. You'd be surprised how very few people actually care in our government to go look and see who financed 9-11. And that's what's in these 28 pages. In 2002, the Bush administration decided that those pages, in particular, needed to be classified so that the American people could not see them. And within 12 months of that classification, the United States began gearing up for war with Iraq. Iraq, by the way, who was a mortal enemy, Saddam Hussein, who was a mortal enemy of the Saudis. So we go and we bomb Iraq, and this whole time, Bob Graham and others like him who had read the 28 pages were saying, no, no, this is all wrong. This is We've got it wrong. We're going the wrong way. The details are in this in these 28 pages. Well, let's speed up to uh, 15 years later. Suddenly, 
Suddenly, right, after these pages have been under lock and key, after Graham has been, and other guys like him, I don't want to single him out. Bob Carey uh, is another senator who's been out there. Walter Jones is another uh, congressman representative who's been out there. Uh, 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 Tim Massey, or Tom Massey has been out there. I mean, there are guys who have went in, and by the way, to view these 28 pages, you have to go into a room where you cannot bring a pen, you cannot take notes, and you cannot have anything with you in the form of, uh, you know, encyclopedias or the internet in order to look <laughs> things up. So kind of you like have to read. There you go. Just like it. And so people who have gone in to read these 28 pages, these congressmen and senators, those who have read them have said that it changes their entire worldview. And you can go to 28pages.org or just Google, you know, 28 pages centers and just see what people have said who've read these pages. So, uh, there's nothing in them, according to those who have read them, and including the guy who wrote them, uh, Bob Graham and others, uh, there's nothing in it that would compromise national security, but it will embarrass the United States. And that's, and it will also embarrass our allies, quote unquote, uh, i.e. Saudi Arabia, according to those who have read it. Um, so why is the corrupt corporate media just now getting around to realizing that there are 28 secret pages. Huh. Because up until this time, all we have been hearing about is what? We've been hearing about Iran, and we've been hearing about Syria. We've been hearing about all of Saudi Arabia's enemies, right? You know, do you know who wants yeah. Assad gone more than anybody else? Saudi Arabia. Do you know who wants Iran gone more than anybody else besides the Christians? Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saudi Arabia, right? So, so Saudi Arabia, so how does Saudi Arabia uh, get, accomplish those goals? Well, that goes back to something we can talk about later, but that we've talked about it before, the petrodollar system. But uh, anyway, I, I've been talking for a while. Maybe you have other questions. Well, um, I guess I'd, I'd ask you uh, the Bush-Saudi connections, how the Bush-Saudi connections influenced the censor censorship of those 28 pages, and also, that plays into the involvement of our government, uh, potentially, in 9-11. Um, how much has changed from the Bush administration to the Obama administration as far as our relationship with Saudi Arabia? It's Well, the, there was a wonderful book put out. It's a terrible book to read. I mean, it's terrible information, but it's a very important book, and it's called The House of Bush, The House of Saud. Um, yep, I have it. It's a very important book, and it explains uh, the connection that exists between the Bush and the, Saud, the House of Saud family, you know, the Saud family. Um, Obama, from the very beginning, has been uh, unwilling to, to do some of the bidding for Saudi Arabia that Bush had done so willing. Uh, Saudi Arabia, up until the time of Obama, really didn't have much in the way of a, of a military. I mean, they always had a military, but it was it was never the size that it is today. I mean, right now, today, in 2016, um, Saudi Arabia is the, not the world's number one arms importer. Now, you won't hear that on Fox News because the number two owner of Fox News is Alawid bin Talal, who happens to be the Saudi royal family. By the way, yeah. Fox, Fox News hates Iran, right? And everybody, everybody who watches Fox News is told they're supposed to hate Iran. They've never been to Iran. They don't know any Iranian people, but they know that they don't like Iran. And so, and that's what happens when you watch Fox News. Why? Because who finances Fox News, right? And so when we say corrupt media, we're talking across the board. I mean, it's everywhere, not just Fox News. But anyway, 
the Saudis have a tremendous lobby uh, that is not talked about. Uh, in in Obama's time, we have now seen the Saudis go from this very uh, dependent kingdom upon the United States to it's kind of growing up. It's kind of like a toddler. It's almost kind of growing up now and saying, you know what, we're we're no longer dependent upon you. This deal that we brokered with you back in the 70s where we sell all of our oil and dollars and we then take all of the money that we make and we put it into U.S. treasuries to, to prop up your debt markets. You know, we've got other... We've got other suitors now. We've got Russia. They've made some. Uh, they've made some. Uh, you know, uh, offers. And we have China. China is a potential suitor as well. And the European Union. They want to be our buddy now too. So suddenly the U.S. isn't the only game in town. And now the U.S. has to decide. You know, is it okay that they may have been involved in 9/11 and we continue our relationship with them to keep our cheap oil, to keep our uh, artificial dollar demand? and to keep some sort of semblance of sanity in the region, if you want to call it that. Or or do we want to go ahead and release the pages, uh, all of them without redacting them, and uh, let the chips fall where they may? And that's what's before the Congress right now. That's why this is such a very dangerous time. And if I can add, if I can uh, throw some additional facts in here for our listeners, Uh, Prince Bandar bin Sultan... Abul, Abdul Aziz. He was a Saudi Arabian ambassador to the United States back on 9-11. He was 52 years old back then. He was known as the Arab Gatsby. He was a son of Saudi Arabian Defense Minister Prince Solman, nephew of King Fahd and grandson of Abdul Aziz, the guy that actually was selected and placed as the founder of Saudi Arabia, if you will. At 10 p.m. on 9-12 2001, the day after 9-11, George Tennant placed a call to Bandar, Prince Bandar, and said, hey, got some news for you. A little bit of bad news, you know, uh, 15 of the 19 hijackers were your, your guys. Well, you know, now people might say, okay, uh, things happen. Well, Bandar... If you look back at Bandar, at this guy, at who Prince Bandar bin Sultan Abdulaziz is and what he's done, he is a guy that played racquetball pretty consistently with Colin Powell back in the late 70s. This is how far this incestuous relationship goes back. And he was he was also involved in covert ops for Bill Casey back in the 70s under Ronald Reagan and was in constant contact with both Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell on 9-11 and, of course, was present in the Truman Balcony meeting on 9-13 and was responsible for the flippin' Saudi exodus that had got these, these, these idiot moron the family yeah. members of the Arab hijackers out of the United States, while well, no one else in the country could fly. Yeah, one thing that's really talked about is the, uh, as you said, the exodus of the bin Laden family and, and Saudi Arabian royalty. The Bush administration, while all in the FAA, had grounded all domestic and international flights. The only flights that took place were getting the bin Ladens and the Saudi Arabian royalty out of America. That's right. And, you know, just I can go on and on and on. This goes back to Carter. 
this goes back to, to Ford. This goes back to Rockefeller. This goes back to the 1970s, early 70s. This goes back into, into the Nixon uh, White House, essentially. This goes back into, I mean, you could take this back as far as you want to, to, to the Genesis of Saudi Arabia, but the bottom line is what happened was the, the covert uh, the, uh, internet or the uh, the criminal cabal of the CIA uh, created this, this, uh, this monstrous Islamic weapon that Really turn its turn itself onto America and uh, Jimmy Carter. Um, and, and if you follow the money, the, the money into this is just absolutely incredible. It involves BCCI, the bank of um, what I can't remember the name of that. Uh, what, what that stands for? Uh, Commerce of yeah. Um, anyway, and, and uh, but this all this goes back to the fact that oil was discovered in Saudi Arabia back in 1938, and. Um, uh, of course, between 1970, oil imports, U.S. oil imports, that were there were 33.2 million barrels a day in '73. After the uh, coziness between Nixon, Kissinger, and the Saudis, the oil imports rose to 6.2 million, million barrels a day. So this goes back to oil. This goes back to money. This goes back to greed. This goes back to uh, this criminal cabal. And by the way. While we're on the Saudi uh, report, and I don't mean to take your time up here, but I'm, I, I, it just really hacks me off. Uh, Bernie Sanders, that uh, you know, for all you Sanders supporters out there, and this is for you, Larry, out there, not 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 Larry from Santa Clarita, no, no, Larry locally here. Uh, Larry wears a Bernie Sanders shirt and you know the rainbow flag and and whatever. Uh, let me tell you something, Larry. See, uh, Sanders doesn't even have the the cojones to read the Saudi nine eleven uh, the, the Saudi report, the twenty eight pages. You know why? Because if he read it, then he'd have to answer questions about it, and he doesn't want to do that, so he doesn't read it. How's that for a leader? Go ahead, sir. Well, I think I think uh, I don't have much to say about Bernie. I mean, uh, but but as far as the as far as the seriousness of the current pro- problem that we're having with Saudi Arabia, if we were on a rank it from a zero to a ten, I'd say right now we're about an eight. And the reason being is that again, we don't hear about Saudi Arabia in the mainstream press. That is not kosher. That is not allowed. I mean, if, in fact, if you even look at some of the uh, responses that have come to this, it's very, very bizarre. I mean, they have asked uh, the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. They have they have asked him what he thinks about whether or not uh, the American the victims of the families on 9/11 should be allowed to have some sort of access to the evidence. Uh, and then be able to use that evidence in some way to hold someone accountable who murdered 3,000 people in America. And you see, we are so corrupt now. We are so completely corrupt because we bomb other nations, we bomb other civilians, and we don't want to get sued ourselves. So we have to say, no, we can't sue Saudi Arabia because if we do that, then they'll be able to sue us. But forget, but forget the fact but forget the fact that the Supreme Court, the legislative branch of our government, just said that it's okay to sue Iran because they don't have sovereign immunity. You see how this works? If yeah, you're in the, the trade, club, if, the if you're in the club, deal. you get sovereign immunity. But if you're not in the club, you you, you know that's how it works. And unfortunately, um, that one of the things that we really despise now, as a Christian, one of the things I truly despise is when I sense that. Saudi propaganda has leaked into the evangelical world. And I will tell you that I believe that there is Saudi propaganda 
inside of the American church something outrageous, uh, and they don't realize it. You know, remember, it was Saudi Arabia who attacked Israel in 1948, not Iran. It was Saudi Arabia who attacked Israel in 1967, not Iran. It was, Isra it was Saudi Arabia who, who influenced the attack on the uh, in 1973. It was Saudi Arabia who has always been the one who has been the number one exporter of terror. It's just that the corrupt mainstream media has a deal not to tell you about that. But suddenly that's changing. And that means that we are probably on the cusp of something pretty big. Uh, getting back to the legal issue of the ability for individuals to sue governments if this legislation were to pass, um, in, and I don't want to get too derailed off this main premise of the conversation, but the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, uh, does that not allow corporations who are uh, legally looked at as individual entities or persons, does that not allow corporations to sue international governments? You see, that's how it works. This this whole entire thing is run by corporations. Um, and yes, to, to address that, yes, that, but there's great irony in that. The fact that Obama would say that he supports the Trans-Pacific Partnership with its clause to allow corporations to sue foreign governments if they feel that their profit potential is getting crimped, but if a foreign government actually kills your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, and does it willfully, that doesn't really count. You see, you're not a corporation. Corporations are the people. You're not really the people. You're somebody who works for the corporations. You're the one who buys their poison food. You're the one who buys their poison water. You're the one who props them up. You're the one who goes to work for them after you get, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of student debt after you've gone to college and bought the lie. Then you go into the corporate world and then you prop up the corporate world and you continue to consume all of their goods. You make money from the corporate world and then you give your money right back to the corporate world. The corporations prop up Washington. Washington does not listen to you. It doesn't listen to me, not because we're not pretty and we're not worth listening to. It's because we don't have money. And corporations have lots of money. So they can they can wiggle their way right into the uh, halls of power. They can get what they want, even if it's against you. They don't care. So, yes, corporations can sue foreign governments. And 9-11 victims can sue Iran. They just can't sue Saudi Arabia. Yeah, says that's, Obama. Uh, that's fascinating to me. And the part about the... Uh, second biggest owner of Fox News being Saudi Arabian royalty um, shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. I last time I heard it was ten percent of Fox News that was owned by a Saudi royal family member. I don't know if that's the same now or if their sh uh, amount of ownership has increased. But folks, that should speak volumes about the mainstream media. We know NBC is owned by GE, which is owned by the government of America. We have, you know, Fox News, which is owned by uh, part Saudi. Yeah, percentage. CNN, Ted Turner, a globalist. All these mainstream media, I mean, Disney is involved in the big six uh, mega corporations. All of these people are globalists or foreign interests uh, who are looking to bring America down and it should be of no surprise to people that their mainstream media is bought and paid for and brought to you by those who want their agenda to be completed. And as you just stated, that the Saudi agenda is anti-Iran and anti-Israel. And, you know, sure enough, just like you said in your podcast and as you said today, 
People who watch Fox News have it embedded in their head that Iran is our enemy. Yes, they say things like, we're going to wipe Israel off the map, but when you boil it down to uh, bare bones... Have you, seen, have you seen what's in the Saudi school books? I mean, if you look in the Saudi school books, you'll, you'll, yeah. see, you'll see the real stuff. I mean, this is yeah. one of the problems. I would encourage everybody, anybody who has uh, Internet connection, go to YouTube and Google or, or type in uh, Saudi Arabia uncovered and uh, and type in Saudi Arabia uncovered. It's a brand new frontline piece that was put out that they actually got hid hidden camera footage into or hidden camera inside of Saudi Arabia and you hear all kinds of wonderful things. Now, see what's interesting is is this this stuff is just starting to come out. You have frontline with hidden cameras in Saudi Arabia. You have Bob Graham on 60 Minutes on the mainstream press hitting Saudi Arabia. You've got all the mainstream media talking about these 28 pages all of a sudden after 15 years of dereliction by the corporate uh, corrupt mainstream press. They haven't talked about this at all. Now suddenly they want to get down to the bottom of it because they're such good media people. And they want to get down to the bottom of these 28 pages and now they want them to be released just suddenly. So the, the question becomes, and we've always, one of the things we've always been on guard of is this kind of language. Because remember, uh, it wasn't until September of 2000 that the United States really put it on its, its uh, radar to take Saddam Hussein out. It was in September of 2000 where he emerged from a meeting with his advisors and declared to the world on CNN, uh, via CNN, uh, that he was going to move from dollars to euros. Uh, that suddenly changed the dynamic towards Iraq, right? That really changed the dynamic. The same thing with Saudi Arabia. So whenever Saudi Arabia says, hey, we're, we think we're going to dump $750 billion of your debt, the mainstream media responds by ramping up its attacks on Saudi Arabia. So what we're seeing right now is smoke and mirrors. It's the beginning. It's, it's the very beginning. These are the rumors of war. But they may go away. If, if we don't see anything more, if the 28 pages get suppressed, because remember, we live in a 24-7 news cycle. Tomorrow it'll be something else. The next day it'll be something else, and the American people will forget. So it all depends, right? They, they can ratchet this down or they can ratchet this up. If they keep ratcheting it up, then we're on the cusp of a pretty big economic crisis because Saudi Arabia uh, stepping away from the dollar and allowing its oil to be sold in other currencies. And if they lower their demand for our treasury securities, our debts, then we're going to have to compensate for that somehow, whether somebody else steps in to fill that role or unless we are going to have higher interest rates to attract more capital. Who knows what that's going to mean? But the point is is that this is not a good situation for the economy. Uh, and Saudi Arabia is, is a threat to humanity, they're a threat to the United States, they're a threat to Israel, they are not our friend, they are not our ally. You know, if, if I can just say, interject one thing here, and this is something I learned, I don't know if this is in the 28 pages, I don't know if this is open source, but I was told by a, an intelligence uh, individual, the in June 2001, the U.S. Embassy in Saudi Arabia, their visa program was active through, um, in fact, this was active through July 19, 2002, they allowed any Saudi to obtain a visa to the United States without actually in, appearing in having to appear in person at the consulate. Saudi Arabia was the only country granted such privileges. Now think about that. From June of 2001, right through past 9-11 and into July of 19, 2002, 
Saudi Arabia had a visa program. They would allow any Saudi to obtain a visa into the United States without having to actually appear in person at the consulate. Again, this is the only, only country granted that privilege. And in June 2001, 11 of the 9-11 alleged hijackers, uh, uh, three... I'm sorry, uh, let's see, in June 2001, 11, I'm sorry, yeah, 11 of the uh, 9-11 uh, terrorists were here, three under this program I, I just referenced. So, I, I didn't I didn't want to, um, I, I didn't want to muddy the waters too much, but uh, let me also mention this, on June 22nd, 2001, Carl Rove um, was the speaker at... Uh, well, you know, I'm not going to go down that road. It just suffices it to say this. Rove, Bush, Powell, Rice, uh, it's Colin Powell, Rice, the Saudis, the whole royal, Saudi royal family, the FBI knew about this. They were fighting against it. However, the, uh, both Republicans and Democrats were, were just outraged or were a part of this and the FBI was outraged over, um, at least the, the uh, rank and file FBI was outraged over the wall that was erected that led to the, the, uh, the ostensibly led to the uh, uh, attacks. I, I said all that to, to say this. The history behind the Saudi and the United States with respect to both um, the uh, intelligence as well as the banking, including but not limited to the oil, is, is heavily incestuous and certainly, as you said, um, Jerry, potentially embarrassing for both the Saudis as well as the United States and and uh, many families and many senators within the United States and lawmakers in in the U.S. both former and current. Yeah, and and there should be embarrassment. You know, there really should be embarrassment, uh, especially for for a country like the United States that holds itself out as someone who promotes democracy. I think most people who are awake now know that's a lie, that we're not out trying to promote democracy and spread freedom around the world. I mean, if we were, we would be in places you know, like North Korea. We would be in places like Africa uh, helping the poor. But that's not exactly what we're wanting to do, and we would be helping the oppressed. But that's not what we do. What we do is we go around and we take care of our colonies. You see, the, America is not uh, a nation state in the proper sense. It's more of an empire. It, it more resembles the empires of old uh, than, uh, than a, a proper nation state. And the fact that it has so many subjects, uh, it has subjects across the Middle East, it has subjects across the, uh, South America, it has subjects in Africa even, it has subjects in, this, in Southeast Asia, it has, uh, has a subject across Europe. And so there are many people who use our currency just like an old empire, and they also um, you know, they also you know answer to us. And because of that, um, you know we we have, uh, but we but nevertheless we hold ourselves out as a nation state, as a democracy, as someone who wants to bring freedom to the world, and yet we partner with guys. Like the Saudi royal family, one of the most repressive regimes in the world. You know, they're dictators in bathrobes. They're disciples of Wahhabism, one of the most literal and one of the most heinous forms of Islam. They they have a theocracy. They crush dissenters. They have a thuggish government. They rely upon intimidation. They have unjust sentencing designed to stifle revolt. 
They use beheadings on Christians. They use beheadings and limb amputations without anesthesia. They gouge people's eyes out. They take their teeth out. They do surgical paralysis. They do not allow free speech. No one else can have any other kind of political opinion except the one issued to them by the state. They are punished with public floggings. Women are treated like property. Religious mi minorities have no rights. You cannot have a church in the middle of Saudi Arabia. You cannot have a church anywhere in Saudi Arabia. And so in right. where all of right. this where all of this comes, all of this comes out of the heart of Saudi Arabia and its education system, which teaches and promotes the destruction of Israel. One high school textbook written for ninth graders says this quote The hour of God's judgment will not come until the Muslims fight the Jews and kill them. You know, unquote. I mean those are the kinds of things that Saudi children are learning. That's where terrorism starts. It begins when six million children are inculcated with hatred at a very young age. It begins in the Saudi schoolhouse. And until we deal with that, until America, you know, mans up and says, look, uh, we're not going to be buddies with a terrorist, terror-linked regime, um, then we're going to have to deal with this. And again, the reason why we continue to deal with it, man, it just goes right back to the name of the website. It's follow the money. Followthemoney.com. You want to know what's going on? Trust movement. There was a there was a psychologist by the name of Alfred Adler. He said, "You want to know the truth? Two words: trust movement." You, they can say everything they want to say. Roman Catholic Church says we love everybody, but you know what? If they took ten, ten, ten percent of their trillions of dollars of wealth, they could eradicate global hunger. I don't care what the Roman Catholic Church says. I trust movement. And to me, they have nothing to say to me. They have plenty of wealth, and they don't take care of the poor. I, they have nothing to say to me. And it's the same way with any of these, uh, any of these guys in Washington. You trust movement. Don't, don't listen to what they say. They lie. All right. Did we just lose you, brother? I'm still here. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know if that was a, an intentional pause or. Oh, I, I just came to an end, and then I, okay. I hear you okay. for a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no. I, I what we did was uh, I, I I cut the uh, mic because I didn't want to have you hear the background noise. I was flipping pages here. Now, you know everything you said, and I hope I hope people I hope you just heard everything. Jerry Robinson, our guest, Jerry Robinson, follow the money. Um, I, I follow the money daily. Uh, check out his website. It's linked off of Hagman and Hagman.com. I hope you heard what he said. But I want to tell you what you're talking about, or what you began talking about earlier, um, the Wahhabi lobby, basically, which it really began in earnest back in the 1980s. It involves, and, and folks, you can, you can see this through the Council on American Islamic Relations, the American Muslim Council, the Muslim Public Affairs Council. Those are the front groups for this Wahhabi lobby. The, um, uh, I want to say the donations, Saudi donations for Wahhabi extremism, the exportation thereof. Uh, there was a website that was actually collecting donations for the Wahhabist. Uh, it was it was taken down. It had to be taken down. But in 1995, just to give you a little bit of a kind of an inkling here of what uh, what Mr. Robinson is talking about, four million uh, from Saudi Arabia went to construct the mosques. In the Islamic Center in Los Angeles, which was named after the founder of Wahhabism, or actually the, the uh, 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 grandson of the founder of Wahhabism, six million 
toward a mosque building in Cincinnati. The Islamic Center in D.C., L.A., Fresno, Denver, Houston, um, and uh, also in suburban or in upstate New York, uh, 2000, uh, the money flew to the, that construction. $325 million to mosques and Islamic centers in the United States, 80 to 85% under Wahhabist control. That's that's what was determined by the year 2005. And incidentally, Saudi Arabia spent $70 billion, has spent $70 billion to export Wahhabism, their brand of Islam, since 1975 to the United States and other parts of the West. So, just so you know, we're talking, um, pretty soon we're talking a lot of money here. And uh, that, that's exactly what you're, what you're talking about, uh, Jerry. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, Saudi Arabia is part of the problem. You know, they're part of the problem. They're not the whole problem. Uh, they certainly are a part. And by the way, we should probably throw in here that Iran is, is no friend either. It's just that Iran has been beaten to ad nauseum about its threat. I mean, we are aware that Iran poses a threat. We get that. And we know that, that Iran is uh, very angry. Uh, with the West, they're very angry with the Saudis. They're very angry with, you know, because it's a religious war. And I think that's one of the problems with this whole thing is that had you gone back to the 15th or 16th uh, century and you had decided to get involved in a tangle, or maybe the 16th or 17th century, and you decided to get in a, in a tangle with, uh, you know, the Protestants and the Catholics, I mean, anybody on the side of the road could have told you that's a dumb thing. Don't get entangled in a religious war. And that's exactly what the Middle East is. You have Iran, who is Shiite, and and uh, Syria leadership, which is Shiite, Lebanon to an extent, and Yemen. And then you have, um, uh, and then of course you have Sunnis, and they're about eighty percent of the uh, of the area. And that, of course, is a religious war. So they don't like each other. They don't like each other at all. They want to kill each other. Saudi Arabia has books that say that uh, Saudi the uh, uh, the Shiites are the problem. They should be killed. Uh, Iran feels similarly about the Saudis. So for the U.S. to be sending our, uh, you know, our children, our troops over to fight in this region uh, underneath the pretext of bringing democracy, that is an absolute joke. This, this is religious war, pure and simple, and we need to stay out of this kind of uh, mess. And in fact, if we are a Christian nation, uh, the way that uh, some people like to banter about and talk about how we're a Christian nation and say this and that and how, you know, how, how, how God's going to judge this nation because we are, are a Christian nation, um, you know, I would say that even behooves us even more. I would say, where are all the uh, missionaries that uh, Christianity has sent? to Saudi Arabia. You see, for Christian nations, it's much easier to drop bombs on mission fields than it is to actually go out and lay down your life for the gospel. It's much easier to lay down other people's lives, and then you, you get to hang around and enjoy the fruit instead of actually laying your life down. That's why I, I often say that this is not a Christian nation in any way, shape, or form. If it is, then I don't want to be a Christian. Uh, the, if you look at the word Christian, the word Christian literally means Christ follower, Christ-like, Christ-likeness. Uh, and when you say it that way, suddenly no nation is really Christ-like. But uh, we have a different definition for Christian, right? We've come up with our own definition. Christian is uh, somebody who happens to be white and happens to be living in America and who happens to vote a certain way. That is what a Christian is, and, and therefore we need to get back to that, right? We need to get back to that white 
uh, that white America that we once were. And uh, that's what's so sad about this nation, is that uh, instead of looking itself in the eye and realizing that God begins his judgment in his own house, uh, America, the Christian America thinks that brown people are the problem and, and that gays are the problem and that abortion is the problem. They, they don't care about the porn that's going on in the pulpit. They don't, they don't particularly care so much about the brown people they're caring, killing around the world. They don't really particularly care that... Uh, that they're killing the same people they're called to, mi to minister to and to witness to. What they really care about is the fact that gays are in front of them. How dare a gay person be in my city, right? Oh, give me a break. That's what the Bible tells us to expect. We're supposed to expect sin. Nevertheless, in Christian America, we walk around completely offended that people sin. And it's, it's this symptom of wanting to have the outside of the cup perfectly clean while the inside is completely filthy. I think I know what Jesus would say to American Christians who feel that way. Absolutely. And so, let, me, let me ask for a clarification on that, though. Um, that's not to say we shouldn't condemn that behavior and, and uh, um, but both, we'll say that the moral aspects of, of homosexuality inside of my marriage, as well as We'll say abortion. We shouldn't be active, actively uh, condemning that and uh, attempting to put a stop to that. Correct? Or, or am I? Or, or what's your take on that? I just want to well, be clear. Yeah, sure. No. Well, first of all, I mean, homosexuality is a sin, just like pride is a sin. You know, they're all sins. Uh, so, first of all, sin is sin. But when you take a look at the Bible itself. Uh, when, when you apply the prescriptions in the Bible, like if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible and you look at uh, Genesis chapter 11, you see the creation. You, remember, remember the old Bible stories about how uh, you know, Adam and Eve, they ate from the fruit of the tree. And so we know what their lesson was there. Basically, a woman uh, ate a fruit from the tree. She gave it to the man. God said, don't do that. And therefore, they sinned. Okay, we get that. That's, a, that's an understandable story. Then you have the flood. You have men who are evil, very likely, you know, homosexual, and very, very, very problematic, very possibly Nephilim, or very likely Nephilim. And so there's a wiping out. We get that. That makes sense. But when you get to Genesis 11, you've got this group of guys who come out of nowhere, and they begin to build, the Bible says, they begin to build a city. They begin to build a city. Build a city. What they do, they build a city, and what do, they, what do they do in the city? They build a building inside of it to make their name great. That's what they do. These guys come out of nowhere, and they begin to build a city. And the Bible says that God sees this, and he says, no, no, no. No, 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 no. This was not my divine intention. I never told you guys to build a city, right? That's the first city we see in the Bible. All of a sudden, just out of nowhere, these guys decide to build a city. Now, whenever you think about that story in the uh, in the children's Bible stories, you never really walked away from that thinking that building the city and making a name for themselves was really such a huge sin, but that's really kind of what it was. Today, we have cities all over the place, right? All with our names on the buildings, all reaching high to the sky, and What's so interesting is is that we have our own kingdoms, we have our own cities, we've done everything in violation of God's will. We have we are totally living in rebellion uh, entirely in in this in this land, and so we are in complete rebellion to God. He said, "Spread out." He said, "Fill the earth." He said, "You know, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth." He says that over and over in the beginning. 
Uh, we always talk about the original intent for America. What was the original intent of the founders? What about the original intent of the Bible? What about the original intent of mankind? I mean, w- what was our original intent? We were supposed to be gardeners. We were supposed to not live in cities. When the, when the first people built cities, God said, don't do that. Right? And so now we have cities everywhere. We read in the Old Testament, we read in the New Testament in Revelation 17 and 18 that that great woman who sits upon that beast, that harlot, that mystery Babylon, the Bible tells us, the angel says, she is that great city. She's a city. So the city itself is that great Babylon that began at the very beginning of time. So to answer your question very indirectly, but now I'm finally getting to it, is that when you have cities that are completely in rebellion to God and you put all these people into cities, you're going to have all kinds of chaos. That's why God said don't do it. But we do it anyway, and we want God to bless our cities, and we want God to bless our kingdoms, and we want God to bless... And when when he doesn't, we get confused and we get upset. So what I'm saying is that, yes, homosexuality is a sin. Of course it is, and it's wrong, and it should not be done. But there are many other things that uh, are just as sinful, and yet we're, they're completely silent about them from the pulpit. I mean, por- pornography is ripping this nation apart. It's ripping the church apart. And they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about the gays outside the church. Why? Because that's how they raise money. You can't tell your, you can't tell your, your tithers to stop looking at porn. You can't do that. What you do is you tell them about the gay people outside the building, and you raise money from them. That's how it works. That's how it works. So Interesting. from okay. the pulpit, from from the pulpit, we need guys who are brave, who will look people in the eye and say, you know what? The judgment begins at the house of God. If we want abortion to stop, let's stop having abortions. Fifty percent of abortions would be stopped tomorrow if Christians, quote unquote Christians, would stop having abortions. So it just seems like there's a lot of nonsense going on and the prescriptions in the Bible. And, that, and that's that's my answer. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I saw a statistic yesterday uh, about the number of abortions by Christians, and it was staggering, staggering. I mean, it was over fifty percent are, are identify themselves as Christians. So, so you're right. Um, thank you for clearing that up. Okay, good. We got about five minutes left before our top of the hour break, Jerry. And uh, with this five minutes we have left, uh, what are the potential fallouts? Let's say Saudi Arabia were to pull the $750 billion in assets. What are the fallouts to the United States Treasury and the condition of the economy here uh, on the homeland? Well, that's that's a huge question. And right before, you may know that uh, Barack Obama just got done visiting the king in Saudi Arabia. That was kind of an interesting timing. But what many people didn't know was that right before that meeting, he had held also another a secret emergency meeting with his vice president and the head of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. And they apparently, they released about a 79-word memo, very little details, didn't answer any questions about it, simply said that they exchanged notes. This exchanging of the notes between Obama and Yellen came right before the trip to Saudi Arabia. So we can only surmise that maybe it was about that. Saudi Arabia is the reason why we're able to print money. We print money because of Saudi Arabia. That's a very important uh, thing to understand. Without Saudi Arabia and the current petrodollar arrangement that allows um, all oil, pretty much all oil, to be denominated in U.S. dollars, 
that means that's a real big hassle for the global economy. I mean, that's a hassle for Japan. J- Japan has to take in, they have to convert it to dollars, they have to pay for the, the uh, oil in dollars, and then they have to bring it back. And there's currency risk, and there's all kinds of things that go along with that. So we say that everything has to be priced in dollars, and that seems kind of fine, but it's a problem. And in, at some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go away, and especially when the dollar is you know, uh, not very stable. Well, anyway, the reason why this is so problematic, and I'll make this very brief because I realize we're getting close to the uh, end of the hour, is that uh, Saudi Arabia uh, and OPEC, the, the countries that trade their oil for dollars and then buy treasury securities, when they do that, they give the Federal Reserve, they give Janet Yellen or whoever's running it, they give them a permission slip in essence. Not not a visible one, but an invisible permission slip. And what it basically says is that, look, you know how much domestic demand you have for your dollar, right? There's so, there, you can pretty much measure that. And you also know that there's a tremendous amount of international demand for your dollar as well, right, because of the petrodollar system. So it, it guides the Fed, and then the Fed says, well, if we print this much money, and they calculate it with their computer, right, and they say, well, if we print this much money, then we won't have inflation because this much demand exists, and so if the supply matches the, the demand, then everything will be okay. So that's why the Fed has been able to do QE1, QE2, QE3, and that's why they're thinking, well, maybe we'll do QE4, QE5, So, but they can't do that they can't this is the whole point they can't do that they can't do that if if the saudis and others say we're not going to accept dollars for oil only we're going to take other currencies now suddenly all of the money all of the dollars that are held globally specifically earmarked to use for oil pur- purchases are now no longer necessary those currencies can now be converted into other currencies that are more useful, perhaps, or they may keep them in dollars. But regardless, that sudden slack in the demand, in that artificial demand, will wreak havoc upon the Fed's ability to print money at will because now they're dealing with a different demand figure. And so if Saudi Arabia changes the total aggregate demand figure for dollars, the 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 Federal Reserve has to respond to that, and they cannot print as much money without stoking inflation. Because if you put too much money into the economy, and there's not enough demand for all of that money, then you create hyperinflation, right? That's how you create it. So so that's why it's very important that we maintain this arrangement, because it maintains a big, huge international demand for our currency allowing us to pull off QE1, QE2, QE3, QE3. Russia can't do that. You know, China can't do that, but we can do it. China can do it for a while, but but we have that permission slip right now. Very good. Critical information, folks. Um, and, and you know what? Let me just real quick address uh, a couple of people here I got emails from. Very quickly, this is uh, kind of a left-handed comment. Yes, uh, the, the uh, airs over the United States, the, the airspace over the United States was closed between 9-11 and 9-13, except for um, about 14 or 17 Saudis, including the royal family, uh, and their airs from uh, the flights were from... Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Cleveland, Orlando, Dallas, Houston, D.C., Boston, Newark, and New York. And um, that's the story on that. Uh, two PIs, uh, Dan Grossi and Manuel Perez, accompanied those individuals during our downtime. Sorry, we're going to be right back with it. Uh, going to be right back, uh, folks. We're up against the top of the hour. 
you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to hour number two of the Hagman and Hagman Report on this Monday edition. We are joined by our guest, Mr. Jerry Robinson. His website, ftmdaily.com, followthemoneydaily.com, you can bookmark that. Sign up for his newsletter. Uh, it's a weekly newsletter as well as his podcast. He's the author of a book, The Bank- Bankruptcy of Our Nation. And as I said at the beginning of the first hour, we had the pleasure of meeting him in Orlando, Florida in 2015 and did a roundtable panel discussion with Paul McGuire, Jerry, uh, my father, and myself on the economy as well as um, geopolitical news tied into biblical prophecy, current events uh, through a biblical perspective. We're talking tonight about the 28 pages, the centered 28 pages of the 9-11 Commission the implications that it has for the uh, Saudi government, and how deep does the rabbit hole go as far as the Saudis' involvement in 9-11, not only in having the citizens who were Saudi Arabians, I think it was 11 hijackers who were Saudi Arabians, but also uh, how high in the Saudi government does the connection to 9-11 go. We're talking about the presidential connections from George Bush uh, you know, George Bush was, his first oil company was started with the Bin Laden families. Uh, they started the Carlisle group together. They were, um, basically, uh, very close business partners. And Bush became president, Bush won. And what did he do? He invaded Iraq. And Bush Jr., Bush 2 became president. And what happened after 9-11? He invaded Iraq. Even Dick Cheney, when asked what Osama bin Laden or Iraq had to do with the invasion of 9-11, said, uh, we have no proof that they had anything to do with it. But somehow, we invaded Iraq, and Saudi Arabia remained to be cleared, or, for the most part, unnamed, an unnamed co-conspirator in 9-11. Jerry, I'm going to bring you back on this hour, and I'm going to let you start it off where you want to. 
Uh, and just folks, for general, uh, just for your information, the third hour we will be taking calls with Jerry, uh, listeners who have questions, who want to talk to Jerry about um, anything we're talking about tonight or any other financial, geopolitical uh, questions, we will take those in the third and final hour. But Jerry, let me uh, turn you loose and let you start where you may this hour. Well, sure. You know, I had, I think I mentioned earlier, I had the great opportunity to talk to um, the honor to speak with Senator Bob Graham earlier today on the phone for our podcast, and uh, it'll be released later this week. Senator Bob Graham is a guy who has, you know, he's been in the government. He was a senator. He was a governor of Florida. Uh, he served on the Senate Intelligence Committee, and he also uh, served on the 9-11 uh, Commission, or, or the inquiry uh, into 9-11, and uh, helped draft the 28, or the, the entire report, 838-page report, but also the 28 pages that are currently under lock and key in Washington. And as we had said, people who had read those 28 pages have said that it changes their entire view of history over the last you know, 13, 14, 15 years. So uh, it's we could be now. What we have heard recently is that, and this this comes from Bob Graham went up from my discussion with him earlier, that we will very likely see the 28 pages released in June in June of this year by the Obama administration, and there's a very likely chance that they're going to be redacted. Right. So in other words, they're going to release the 28 pages but they're going to release only parts of the 28 pages, further aggravating, no doubt, those who are wanting to see the evidence. Another really interesting, so that, that could happen in June, uh, but again, I think people who are observant, who are watching what's happening, need to realize that, again, this is all smoke and mirrors still. Nothing really, no mortal damage has been done yet. It's all mere words, but things could happen. We could uh, allow Saudi Arabia to be sued. Saudi Arabia could begin dumping uh, treasury. I mean, there's something could begin to happen, but right now it's still kind of frozen in time, but it could be thawing. We'll see what's going to happen. The other thing is, is that many people may not know this, but Iran recently was uh, sued by the victims of the 9-11 families, and this the lawsuit stuck. Uh, in fact, Iran, Iran has to pay... Uh, on the uh, somewhere around 13 14 15 billion dollars uh to uh to the corporations who lost money in 911 and to the families of the victims but they're not going to do that but they, by the way the same judge who ruled against Iran and who ruled that they must pay that money to the 911 victims families ironically and this is no joke this is unbelievable uh the same exact judge was the same judge who said that Saudi Arabia could not be sued by the 9/11 families or uh, victims' families, so you know it's a huge display of um, this this global crony capitalism. I guess is the best thing that you could say, where we cover for our buddies uh, when they're our buddies, right? And when they're not our buddies anymore, then suddenly the veil comes off. So if if suddenly if suddenly the mobs of Americans have the same look of blood in their eye that they did for Iraq or that they did for Afghanistan, if they suddenly get that same look of blood in their eye for Saudi Arabia, then we could end up in a in a you know in another battle. That's hard to imagine, but that could happen. But more than likely, there's just going to be a a cooling off of the relationship, 
and there's going to be a diversification by Saudi Arabia away from the United States. As we mentioned, they're the number one importer of weapons in the world. Number one importer of weapons in the world is Saudi Arabia, and yet Saudi Arabia and Saudi funding are constantly pointing the finger at Iran. If you walk through a Christian bookstore, you see 15 books about Iran, and maybe one book, if any, on Saudi Arabia, despite the fact that Saudi Arabia is the number one financier of global terror, despite the fact that out of its madrasas and schoolhouses, it's teaching its children to murder and kill Christians, Shiites, Jews, and anybody who doesn't happen to look and act like them. And so, you know, despite all of that, the watchmen on the wall in the Christian community seem to be, seem to be spouting Saudi propaganda as opposed to the truth. And the, and the truth of the matter is that Iran, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, we read that Iran joins a party of nations uh, and they invade Israel. They invade Israel. See, that sells really well. If you say that Iran, the Bible says Iran's going to invade Israel, that's a book that you can sell probably for $20. If you make a DVD, you can probably sell it for 30 But... But what you do not want to include in that book or that DVD is the fact that the Bible literally says within those same paragraphs that God is going to defend his people Israel and that he is going to show himself mighty on their behalf. Well, we don't care about that much, that part so much. We're more concerned with the fear that's generated by Iran maybe attacking Israel. So it's so strange how the people of faith who are at least the people who were once known as the people of faith, are now more often associated with uh, a people living in fear. So I'm not afraid of Iran. I say, bring it on. Because the Bible says that if Iran does bring it on, that they're going to be wiped out by the God of Israel. So why would I spend any more time worrying about that unless I did not have any faith? But... The mortal threat to my economy, the mortal threat to Israel, the one who has attacked Israel in 1948, the one who attacked her in 1967, the one who attacked her uh, or paid paid for the attack in 1973, all of this stuff, all of this stuff, uh, Saudi Arabia leads right back to Saudi Arabia. But the reason why we don't talk about it, the reason why the church doesn't talk about it is because nobody talks about it. And now suddenly everybody's starting to talk about it. And, uh, and again, anytime that happens in the past, that's usually not good news. Uh, when we don't hear about our, our uh, thuggish allies, it's normally good news for those thuggish allies. But when we start hearing about them in the media, and they start bantering them about in front of the bloodthirsty American population, suddenly things can change in a, in a radical heartbeat. So Saudi Arabia is probably very nervous. I would imagine the Bush uh, folks, I would imagine... W. Bush is probably quaking in his boots, the fact that the nuts are falling from the trees the way that they are right now. I mean, if it really is true what's in those 28 pages, if it really is true that Saudi Arabia funded and financed and helped or and helped even orchestrate, if you listen to some of these the guys who've read the uh, 28 pages, if that really is true, how in the world... How in the world can it be justified for attacking Saudi Arabia's mortal enemy, Iraq? 
uh, in 2003. How in the world will they be able to explain that? It it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so therefore, it's understandable why they wouldn't want to release those pages if they really say what they say. But the problem is, is that the men and the women on the on the watchtower, right? The women and the men who are supposed to be watchmen on the wall, they have got to not they they cannot be infected by by propaganda. They cannot be infected by the same propaganda that infects our mainstream press. And if they are, then they're of no use. They're of no good. Uh, so we need men and women who are not listening to the propaganda that's coming out of all corners of the world, and instead who listen to the Bible. Uh, I'm not worried about Iran, because God says he's going to take care of that one. He doesn't say anything about Saudi Arabia. I think I need to keep my eyes on them. Um, you know, he doesn't say that he's going to protect me from them, right? He he does say that he's going to protect the Jew from from Iran. So... Um, so anyway, I, I just I guess what I'm saying is is that there doesn't seem to be a lot of logical conclusion. We could we could even show this parallel one more way. Uh, the mo- the most recent way was when Donald Trump made the comment. And I'll bring up Donald Trump here, but uh, Donald Trump made the comment recently that abortion people women who have abortions, um, if it is deemed to be illegal to murder a child in the womb, right? If it's deemed to be illegal. That that woman should be held accountable. That's what Donald Trump said. And the and the Christian community of all people, the Christian community, and the and and more than that, the pro life organizations came out and said, "Oh, oh no. Trump doesn't understand. That's that's certainly not something we would never request for someone who murders their child to ever pay any kind of consequences." What in the world is Trump thinking? They showed. They reveal their their hand to us. The same thing happened recently. Whenever tr- Trump's really showing up the church, it's really something. Trump recently also said this. He said uh, that his favorite verse. Somebody asked him in a, in a in a radio interview. They love to get this guy. What's your favorite Bible verse, uh, Trump? And Trump says something along the lines of, "Well, you know, I like eye for an eye, right?" Oh, and here come the here comes the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees love this line. And they say, "Oh, yeah, see, that's that, that's in the Old Testament. That's not in the New Testament. He's obviously not a Christian. See, he's not a Christian because no Christian supports uh, eye for an eye anymore. That's so obvious, you know." What? Sixty-two percent of the people who support the torture of our enemies, according to the Pew Research report that was released about the Senate CIA report. When they asked people on the street, who are you, who are you, and what do you think, they found that 62% of evangelical Christians supported torturing our enemies. Torture. Torture. And so what's what I think is so funny is when the church actually tries to act as if it's following the commands of Jesus, when so clearly it's not. I mean, in America today, you don't hear Jesus' words. You just don't hear them. They're missing. They're gone. You don't you don't hear the challenges of Jesus's words anymore. Almost, e- almost even from the pastors today that we've had a defanging, uh, so to speak, and that's probably a bad word. But but we but but our our pastors have been uh, effeminate. I was walking through the store the other day. I, I saw guys with spikes in their face. I saw I saw guys with tattoos all over their body. I saw effeminate men, very very effeminate men. And I was walking through. This was a Whole Foods. I was walking through with my two children. I have two boys, and I'm walking through the through the uh, Whole Foods, and I'm just dressed like a normal guy with my two boys on my hips. And everywhere around me, 
are effeminate men, dudes with spikes in their face, tattoos. Man, we have lost our way. We have lost our way. We have lost our way. Men and men are not no longer uh, considered um, that the role of manhood has been so destroyed, and it's thanks in in much part uh, to the corrupt media today that portrays men as effeminate and plays that up tries to tell people that transsexual is common and normal, tries to tell your kids that everything's fine. That's why we say, look, that's why I got my, my family out of the city. I think the city is, in many ways, a very dangerous place for a Christian. I don't believe that it's a dangerous place physically. I don't want to say, I don't want people to think that. I think spiritually it is. You know, you think about the city, and you think about the city, and whenever I go into the city, you know what I can't see in the sky? I can't see the signs of the heavens. When I come out to my place, or I go out into the country, when I spread myself out the way God said, when he says, go, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and stop building cities, right? I have a city. God has his own city. He's going to bring down his own city, New Jerusalem. He doesn't need your cities. He doesn't need your cities and your buildings, right? He's got his own city. He's got his own building, and he's going to bring it down, uh, and he's going to get rid of all these other cities. But anyway, long story short, when I go into the city, I can't see the signs of the heaven. I can't see the moon. I can't see the stars. I can't, God, I can't hear God. I can't, well, I can't see God. Um, uh, in order for Moses to hear God, Moses uh, had to be yanked out of the city to the backside of the desert. He met God at the burning bush right in front of Mount uh, uh, Horeb, which in the Hebrew means desolate or uh, waste. It's a wasteland. God got a uh, God. God got Moses out of the city, and then He tells him, "Go get my people and bring them out of the city." Right? Go get them out of the city. Bring them out. I'm going to build my own land. I'm going to have my own city. So God has a city, and I believe that Christians today need to be in the world, but they don't need to be of the world, and they certainly don't have to subject themselves to the stresses of living a corporate lifestyle, of eating corporate food, of propping up you know, the failing education systems of our country. I mean, I just don't think it's necessary. I think that we need to get back to basics. My wife and I live on a property, uh, and we moved out here uh, specifically to get off of the grid. And so we've built a big garden. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's, you know, I understand why people don't do this. It's very, very tough. I mean, it, uh, it's very tough. And I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, half the stuff I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm having to learn. But, uh, but these are the kinds of things that we were made to do. You know, this is what God made us for. Uh, the corporate environment that we have today, the cities that we have today, they're all a deception. They're, they're a deception. And they lead us to believe that mankind is improving. That's the lie that you can always get an atheist or you can get a, an agnostic on. Anybody who tells you that mankind is improving because we have better medicine or because or we have more knowledge, they think that we're actually ascending, right? But the truth of the matter is is that we're just as racist, if not, well, no, no, no. We are more racist today than we were in the 1960s. Those of you who were alive in the 1960s remember black people being hosed in the middle of the streets of America. Those were the good old days that we're trying to get back to. I had a, I had a, I had a black person in one of my audiences uh, not too long ago, and it just stuck out of my mind. I, I, always, I, I, I am no friend of those who want to take America back for God. I think that's the worst idea in the world. 
Uh, because when people say they want to go back, they want to take America back, you know, they don't realize how that sounds to people, right? If you are brown or if you're a woman or if you are black or if you're a Native American or if you're, you know, you just go through the list. If you're any of those things, that's not what you want, right? That would not make your life good, would it? But it'll make white guys' lives better. So they want to take it back. So that's a negative language. I don't like taking it back. I can't imagine where I would go. Where would you go if you could go back? Would you go back to the 60s where we hose blacks in the street? Or maybe we would go back to the, uh, maybe back to the Civil War where we were killing one another, uh, our Christian brothers and sisters, uh, over, over the rights to slavery, slave rights, uh, states' rights. Would we go back to the very foundation of the country? Where we grew our economy on rum and tobacco, that was the, those were the two main staples of the American economy, and that's how we became great. Rum and tobacco. Uh, that tobacco, by the way, was picked by black people. You know, so my point is, is that where do we go? Where are we trying to go back to? I don't understand. That there is no place to, the only place, uh, to go is go forward. Paul says, I press forward for the prize of the high calling Christ. Go forward. Don't go back. Don't, don't try to get your city or your country or your nation state to reflect uh, God's glory. God says he's going to replace it. He said, I already have a city. I've already got a kingdom. I've got it. Come be a part of my kingdom. Come be a part of my city. Come, just come be a part. He tells us to come. But we don't want to come. We want to stay in our own cities. We want to stay in our own babels. We want to build our own towers. We want to make our name great. We want to get our education. We want to get a corporate job. We want to have a great raise. We want to have a Timex at 65. We want to have a great retirement. And then we'll go to that city. Then we'll become a part of that kingdom. In the meantime, we're going to be Republicans, or we're going to be Democrats, or we're going to have this opinion or that. No, 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 no. I think there's a great deception happening today, and we've got to open up our ears and hear the voice of God. He's speaking today, but we can't see his handiwork in the heavens when we're in the cities. I believe we have to get out just like Jesus got away. He would, he loved to get away, and then he said, follow me. He would get away from the crowds. He would move away. He would go to places of desolation, and then he said, what I'm doing, I want you to do too. We need to get away from the madness. We need to get away from the stress. We need to listen to the voice of God. And when we do, we're going to hear very different things than what we're hearing in the city. Because I believe the city is filled with a tremendous amount of corruption. All manner of evil things happen in the city. Uh, the city is where these things happen. And remember in the book of Revelation... I've long been fascinated by this woman that sits upon this beast. I've been studying this woman now for, I guess, 15 years. I've probably written three books on her, but I've never released any of them. I just have pages and pages and pages of facts about who is this woman. And here's what we know. She is, the Bible tells us in Revelation 17, that the great angel says, this woman that sits upon the beast, she is a great city. She's a great city. She's a great city. And then right after that, we see what? And she's called Babylon the Great, first city the Bible ever talks about, uh, Genesis 11. Then, right after that, we see the coming down of the new Jerusalem. God replaces that city, that wicked city, and all of its offspring. Oh, she's the mother of all harlots, isn't she? She's that great city and all of her offspring. He does not like any of them. But he brings down his own city, right? The holy city. And he's going to replace it. So I would I would say that mankind has, and especially American Christians in general, I would let, let's just stick to American Christians because we don't expect anything of people who are not born again. Nothing. We expect nothing. They're spiritually dead. 
but from Christian Americans, American Christians, uh, what we would say is we would expect uh, them to read the Bible and to be very, very vigilant uh, as to the hour. And we believe today that deception is greater than at any other time in history. You were very correct in your statement. Deception is higher today at any time in history. And when we look at the scriptures, at what Jesus said would come upon us in the end times, in Matthew chapter 24, it uh, the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming? Uh, and what will be the sign of the end of the days? And Jesus begins by saying, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come unless there come uh, a great falling away. And as he goes on listing the things that will happen in the end times, he lists also that many shall be offended and will start to hate each other over that offense. And exactly what you said about the the building of the city, uh, it starts out in Genesis. The uh, land of Shinar, Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, they began off with one mind to do uh, and establish a, a city so they can make a name for themselves. And what it does say in Genesis is that they were confounded by God, their languages were changed, and they were uh, taken away to many different nations. But that uh, goal of building that city lived on with them, even after they were dispersed. And we are seeing, in these end times, the rebuilding, or the attempt to uh, finalize that city, that building, that uh, the old men of renown, the giants, the tyrants, whatever you want to call them, set out to build. And it is uh, very prophetic. And yes, you said you had three books worth of material on, on the city. Uh, that's Easily, yeah. Easily, Love yeah. I've been studying. At least one of those. Yeah, maybe so. It's one of those things that I've, it's been weighing on me quite a bit. I've got another one coming out first, but that is a, that's a topic that is so, so key. Matthew 24 is filled with a lot of great information. It also says there that uh, when the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world uh, as a testimony to all the nations, then the end will come. And I love that phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. That good news of God's glorious coming kingdom uh, needs to be proclaimed and published from the pulpits. You know, if, if America's pulpits were filled with the good and glorious news of Christ's coming kingdom, instead of bickering about human kingdoms, then the church would actually have a tremendous amount of rele uh, relevance to the people today. But instead, all the you know what I hear a lot of the church folks talking about is mainly uh, human kingdoms. And they're upset that human kingdoms aren't going the way that they should go. Uh, and yet, out of the other side of their mouth, they say that all men are sinful and they need Jesus. So, in other words, they're basically saying all men are sinners, and how come these sinners can't, you know, lead themselves? How come they can't make this? How come they can't make this work? How come we can't? Well, we already know the answer to that. The reason why this doesn't work is because we rejected God, right? Period. That's why. That's why uh, it doesn't work. And so, uh, to try to identify some problem or some person as the reason why all of this went wrong totally misses the point. The point is not who who screwed it. I mean, if, if we want to do that, we should blame Adam, right? But uh, or, or Eve. But instead, uh, we tried to blame individuals or people, and that's why even with Saudi Arabia, I said they're just one of the problems, right? They're just one of the problems. But the, the main problem is that we have rejected God 
We have built great cities in defiance of God, making great names for ourselves. I mean, when you look at Trump Towers, you look at Trump Towers, uh, and I have very little opinion on Trump. I love the fact that he's bringing up some things that need to be said. I love it. But I don't, I don't care if he gets elected. What do I care? I don't have a dog in this fight. Uh, but what? I, but I will tell you this. What? What, uh, what? When you look at Trump Towers, how is that any different from the Tower of Babel? I mean, we're surrounded by Tower of Babel. These people built a tower to make their name great. Right? We might as well just put the name on top of it. So I think we're surrounded today, as we said, deception. I think we're surrounded today in modern Babels, and uh, and we will only be frustrated if we don't understand why our Babel doesn't work properly, right? We're just beating our heads against the wall. We need to wake up and listen to our own preaching and say, we tell people they have sin. We say that the kingdom of God is the answer. That's the answer. And the problem is sin. So we need to simplify it. But there are some really important things that are happening that we do need to pay attention to. I mean, again, Whenever our economy is on the brink and it's going to impact our wallets and it's going to be something that might impact, you know, our stewardship, that's something we really need to know about. And we need to have, you know, maybe even an opinion on that. But there are so many things today that the world wants us to have an opinion on that we really can't change. Uh, one of those things would be something like the death penalty. You know, that's, I think as a Christian, and this is just my own personal belief, but with the death penalty, I choose not to have a, an opinion on the death penalty. Now, somebody would say, "Well, Jerry, you should you should believe in the death penalty. Why why do I have to believe in the death penalty? This is a perfect example. Why do I have to believe in the death penalty, or why do I have to not believe in the death penalty? You see, what what I feel about that impacts no one, right? No one will be impacted by my by my decision upon that until I'm called upon to have an opinion about that." I'm simply spouting words into the air to talk about why I don't like that or why I do like that. In other words, I can't impact any change on it. I'm not, I'm not a governor. I can't make a midnight call. So therefore, doesn't it just kind of stoke uh, tension and doesn't it stoke uh, dissension between brothers and sisters when we all have to have an opinion on everything, and that's exactly what this world today has become through Facebook and Twitter. Everybody has an opinion on everything, and then everybody's offended by everybody, and Satan gets what he wants, right? And the gospel doesn't get preached, and that's exactly what's happening. Um, uh, I believe that the gospel of the kingdom needs to go forward. I believe that that gospel of the kingdom is not the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It's no kingdom on this earth, but it's a kingdom on high. And um, I am just very, very thankful that you know I am a part of that kingdom. I mean, that's, and I want other people to be a part of that kingdom. Uh, but in order to become a part of that kingdom, you have to understand and, and admit that Adam made a mistake, and that uh, and that Eve made a mistake. You know, and that you go back through time and you look and you see that, man, I am part of a lineage of people who are deteriorating. I'm part of a race that is getting worse, not better. But the, but the terrible thing about it is, is that I am deceived to believe that I am getting better. That's the terrible lie. And cities magnify that. They, they make us think that we're bigger than we are, that they hide our, our sin. There, there are big fig leaf that we put over ourselves to hide the fact that we're naked and that we're alone and that we haven't you know, dealt with God. Cities allow us to hide. 
um, funny enough. It's when you get out in the middle of nowhere and you look up at the great expanse. That's when you realize that you're alone. And, uh, and I think that's, that's missing from people who are born and raised in the city and never leave the city. They're constantly bombarded by so many spirits. And it's very difficult to know God's voice and know God's word uh, in an environment like that. It, can't, it can happen, of course. But look at what God does in the Bible. He pulls men out of the cities to do his great works. And then he sends them back into the cities with a mission, right? When Jesus went to Jerusalem, he went there with a mission. He didn't go there to hang out. He was not a cosmopolitan guy. He went to Jerusalem because he had a purpose. When he wasn't there, he was a nomad. Uh, Paul, you know, same way. He just he went across the whole uh, you know, Europe uh, and others. You know, nomads. I mean, just going across, preaching this good news of the kingdom. They certainly, certainly did not want to kill their their Christian brothers or sisters uh, over an issue of rights. That's what Christian America has to, to reconcile. I think if you're going to say America is a Christian nation, you have to explain why early Christians thought that it was important. Because, you know, it's just the same way. I mean, I could ask you guys, you know, what would it take, uh, Joe, for you to, for, I mean, I know this is crazy, but just seriously, just think about this. I'm a Christian brother. You're a Christian brother, right? Let's say we both have guns. Let's say I live in England and you and you live in the colonies, okay? But I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. We both read the Bible, right? Both both Christians. You got a gun. I got a gun. What would I have to do to you to get you to stop loving me as a brother and take a gun and shoot me? What would it take? What, what would I have? What if I what if I said I was going to raise your taxes by ten percent? What if I said that I didn't what if I said that I didn't think that you should have a certain right to a certain thing? Would that would that excuse you at that point to go ahead and pick up a gun and shoot me? And if you say yes, then you then you have a Christian America. Right? That is a Christian America. If you say no, then you cannot have a Christian America. Because Christians yeah, are not Christians are not Christians. Christians are Christ like. Anything that's not Christ like is not a Christian. And this is an area of study I've been doing a lot of research on, and it's from uh, an author from the 1900 named Jones, and he talks about Christian patriotism and the difference between patriotism and idolatry and where that line is drawn. And yes, you know, as a Christian brother in, in America in the colonies with a gun to an, uh, a Christian brother in England, uh, what would it take? It would take a, a you know a threat a direct threat on uh, the life of somebody around me or a family member. Um, but unfortunately, uh, as we well, let's, well, say let's, we're a Christian think, nation, we... Let's, um, let's think about that. Let's, let's actually think about that. So, so if somebody, so if, some, so if a Christian brother, let's say that you and a Christian brother had gone to church earlier that day. Okay. And let's say that that Christian brother then did what England did to America and said, I'm going to I'm going to charge you more taxes on your tea. Would 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 you feel that killing that Christian brother uh, to prevent him from exacting that money from your wallet would 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 do you think you, what, what scripture would you appeal to? There is no scripture uh, that would allow me to take um, an increase on taxes or or. Uh, Take away a, a, a perceived right. Uh, 
Uh, the only commandments that we are to follow are those that God gave us in the Bible and the basic outline for how we are supposed to live is in the Bible. And, um, you know, even, uh, you know, we're not to take up violence and, and anger against anyone, but at the same time we are, uh, you know, it would take a personal uh, threat to, like I said, to a life that is close to me in proximity or uh, family. What, what, what about your What about your own? What, what if What if What if somebody was holding a gun to your head? Would that justify you to kill them? And if so, no. if so, if so, uh, well, see, that's what that's my problem with the whole concept is that I can't think of a situation because I, I can think of Paul being in a situation where he was constantly in under danger, and his 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 people, his sons of the faith, his daughters in the faith, were in trouble. But yet he never picked up a sword and sought to make things even that way because he was a Christ follower. He was a he he followed Christ. Christ said, "Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't don't kill people. Don't, don't, especially don't kill your brothers and sisters in the faith." Right? And that's exactly how America was formed. They killed their own brothers and sisters in the faith, and that's really a hard thing to get around um, and still call it Christian. Uh, I wish they would take away the word Christian from it because it really gives us a bad name. Uh, but just as the other day, I, I think what I was saying about Trump, Trump had made the comment recently that he said "eye for an eye" uh, was uh, you know his favorite verse, and the, and the Christians don't don't want to talk about that because. But they really do. I mean, the, I believe "eye for an eye" is a very very important concept to most American Christians. Uh, it's what we call spiritual transgenderism spiritual transgenderism. I think a lot of American Christians today are actually secretly Jews or Muslims because because they actually believe in an eye for an eye. They really like the Old Testament and they don't realize that they're not really Christians, they're actually Jews. If they would convert, Christianity would become more pure. I think it's the same way with Christians and uh, I think there's a lot of Muslims who are actually confused thinking that they're Christians because they want to kill people who kill them and they want to get them burst even often. Those people are actually Muslims, and they should convert and become Muslims. Because when they're in the church, a they don't they don't pay attention to what the Bible says, and that's the first thing that we know that they're not a Christian. And secondly, um, it it makes it very difficult for new Christians to understand what they're supposed to believe. So you know, if you believe that uh, uh, eye for an eye is true, like like Trump says, uh, and you think that should still be the law, then you're probably a Jew, right? You're probably a Jew, and so that, that's that's how we that's how we look at it. So so in other words, do we hold to the law? Do we hold to grace, or do we hold to the Islamic law? And I think a lot yeah. of people in America today who are who claim to be Christians are actually Jews or Muslims. They're just spiritual transgenders. They're just confused. They don't know. They, they they're well, Christian it, because they're like, white. They're, they're Christian it, because it, they're white. It's like most issues, you know. What it boils down to, especially in in Christianity, is the fact that the congregation as well as the leadership do not read their bibles do not seek the will of god do not take to prayer and therefore believe what is told to them and believe the things that uh they perceive to be right or they perceive to be christian like rather than actually getting into the bible and doing what the word says we got about 15 minutes left before the top of the hour jerry and i don't want to knock you off your 
your subject, but I'd like to, before we take listener calls with you, I'd like to talk to you about the gold-backed yuan that was launched recently uh, in the last couple minutes of this hour, if we could, oh, sure. and the threat that it poses to the American economy and how the gold new gold-backed yuan looks to rearrange the world or global economy. Yeah, the the this is a really interesting story. The um, the Chinese yuan uh, is a is a growing currency. It's a growing currency, as everybody knows. One of the things that they do not have power over right now is the pricing power over bullion over the gold market. By creating their own yuan denominated uh, gold exchange, what they're going to be able to do is, as their currency increases in usage across the globe. It's going to allow them to have greater purchasing or pricing power over gold. And that actually um, is good news for gold investors because China has a lot of gold, and no doubt it would like to see gold prices higher because then they can, you know, you know if you have a bunch of gold and then you can set the price, of course you would want to make it as worth as much as possible, right? And so, so that's certainly uh, what many people believe is coming. I've read different analysis you know from different vantage points on the whole thing i think really what it is is just simply china stepping into the market allowing it to have pricing power over gold and because it wants to back of course it's it's yuan with gold when they do that uh they will be the very first currency uh since 1971 that will actually have a gold backing and in this age of fiat currency and people are beginning to wake up to that China is going to play right into that hand, and they're going to get massive market share for their currency in a situation like that, much more than they would if they didn't back it with gold. So it's a really smart play by China. China is the dominant player of the 21st century, without a doubt. Uh, what's so concerning, though, about our present time is that, uh, and the reason why I'm such a gold bull is that if you go back to 0 A.D., right, or 1 A.D., the time of Christ, and you go all the way to the Industrial Revolution, 18, you know, let's go all the way out to 1877 or so, if you look at the actual growth rate uh, during that time, and remember, everything's about growth today, growth, growth, growth. we got to have more growth. That's how you fix everything, growth, growth, growth. Well, if you look at the growth rate from 0 to about 1877, it's practically flat. I mean, you know, there is growth, of course, but it's practically flat. If you look at growth from uh, 1971 all the way to today, 2016, we have actually grown uh, a tremendous, a tremendous magnitude, possibly 400 times according to some metrics. And so what's happening today is that we have, for the first time, uh, a completely debt-based economy. There is nothing backing it up at all. And literally everything is going up, 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 up. And that's why you want to raise at the end of the, uh, at the end of the year. That's why you expect a raise at the end of the year because raises are supposed to come. Now that's a kind of foreign concept to history. History didn't have raises. You know, raises are not that common. Uh, you know, raises would mean that, you know, either A, your, your, uh, attitude or not your attitude, but your aptitude has improved or B, uh, there's inflation, right? And in our Raises case, it's taxes. because, yeah, <laughs> that, well, and that, every, and that's it, something that's uh, expected. And everything is going up. So taxes are going up, right? You have the stock market going up. You have the housing values are supposed to go up. The na the natural direction for everything in the American economy is up, and that is the problem. That's that's the whole problem, because if you if you live with the expectation that everything is supposed to go up.
then you have that requires uh, ever perpetual growing amounts of debt. And today we have so much debt that it's just simply inconceivable to see how this will be sustainable. And in fact, where we are right now, we're beginning to see a transfer, as we were talking about China, moving from the United States dominance, the dollar dominance, the U.S. dominance, now moving, especially with the Saudi relation in flux. There are other potential suitors for the, uh, for the Saudis. China is certainly one. And so now you have countries like China, which are rising, threatening that dollar dominance, and the lifestyle that you and I have. I, I, you know what? I can boil it down to this. Uh, we, we've said a lot tonight. It really boils down to this. Christians, you and I, people who believe in Christ, if if we do not see the writing on the wall, woe to us, right? Woe to us. If you have debt levels going this high and you have Christians who are not prepared, we're going to be the ones knocking on the unbeliever's door whenever everything hits the fan. And we're going to say, hey, you know, we were the ones up on stage uh, scaring you about the great red dragon that's standing on the sea. We were the ones telling you that Iran was going to bomb Israel. We were the ones who were spooking you and, you know, driving you out of your mind with all of these crazy ideas. Uh, can I have a loaf of bread because I didn't think to go buy an extra loaf, right? This is nonsense. I mean, it's absolute nonsense. So, so, so there's a lot of fear being engendered in the Christian community, but there's not a lot of action. Uh, if there really is fear, if there really is genuine things to be worried about, which there really are, uh, we need to be in prayer and we need to be good stewards. And I think that's the whole point of this, is that regardless of what happens with Saudi Arabia, regardless of what happens with that Chinese Yuan story, uh, in the end, we have too much debt. And because of our debt, Saudi Arabia has too much influence over us. Because of our debt, this is a threatening story from China. And because of our debt, we're not going to be prepared whenever the stuff really hits the fan. And if if the Christians are the ones who are knocking on the unbeliever's door because they're not prepared, that's going to make Christians the laughing, American Christians, the laughing stock of the world because they were the ones uh, ratcheting up all the fear, saying stuff was coming. If they're not prepared, that's going to be completely ridiculous. Yes, it is. And um, <laughs> as you said, it, it would be uh, you know the people around the world would be would be shocked and appalled that the and isn't China taking a, a <clears throat> page out of American the, the success of American capitalism by America gutting its own manufacturing sector to China increasing its manufacturing sector from America taking its the gold away from the uh, currency and China taking the gold and backing their currency up with it wouldn't you say that China's taken a playbook out of the uh, how to be successful in a capitalist society from America well I, I think I think if anything we need to be cautious with that tone because because China has for a long time, been the dominant player. I mean, their GDP levels, uh, even at the height of the British Empire, were higher than the British Empire. I think we may have talked about that before in the past on one of your shows. But at, at one point, uh, at the greatest point of the British Empire, the greatest point of the, great, of the British Empire, including uh, their, their uh, wonderful crown of uh, India, if you take all of their GDP and you compare it to China at the time, uh, China was still bigger. Uh, the Chinese GDP. So, so China has always been this behemoth uh, in in the on the world stage, 
but it hasn't always uh, over the last several hundred years things have changed but that's changing again so it's been in flux I, I would say that yes they're playing this smart but they're also uh, you know going back to the gold like they did in uh, Bretton Woods if that's what you're referring to 1944 Bretton Woods whenever the dollar was made as good as gold at that conference um, then yes China is in some ways mirroring that by using gold to create confidence in its currency um, but I think they're going to do things differently than the U.S. has done. I think they'll be smarter. Uh, they're an old pro at empire. They've done this a lot. They've, they've, been, a, they've been an empire throughout world history, and uh, they're no stranger to empire. The America uh, is an experiment. Uh, it's really gone bad uh, toward the end, and there's so much debt now. Um, we'll see if they can somehow salvage it, but I think China will be a lot more uh, wise in how it grows, and I think we'll be very, very stunned. Uh, at how fast and how radical things are going to be changing over the course of the next decade or two. Uh, it's, you know, I, I think it's going to be very, very astonishing uh, to the average American who's not watching this stuff, you know. Okay, Jerry, just to be clear, okay, well, we're talking about debt. Uh, now, uh, general gross government debt, uh, I guess, I, I'm, I, I want to cl- clarify this for listeners and, and even for my for myself. When we talk about debt, we're talking about um, gross national debt, countries, per countries. For example, the United States has, um, I think, what are we, uh, 36 in terms of debt to GDP at uh, 71.8%. Does that sound right? Forgive me if that's not or if that's off a little bit. Well, I mean, the, the current uh, national debt today is is about 19.2 trillion. I mean, that's where it stands at about roughly. Um, and then if you look at at total, you know, GDP that comes in, you know, it's I mean, not GDP. I'm sorry. If you look at, at total GDP, you know, that figure right. is at about eight eighteen two. You know, so so actually, according so, to some metrics, we're already over 100 percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Mm. Because I, I think where a lot of people get get confused, including me, is understanding the terms. Because the terms seem to be a moving target. When we talk about debt, we talk about um, we we talk about a number, but then we 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 or we we are told the debt is going down. Um, I don't quite understand. How, what metrics they use to to make an, an assertive statement like that? Because, as I just mentioned, if you if you check the CIA back book, for example, from April of 2014 for 2013, they use spending features. Well, yes, saying their spending uh, features are down, you know, which will bring uh, the national debt down. Uh, and you're right with the rhetoric; they do say. It in terms as though they have cut the, the national deficit in half. But okay, I, I guess yeah. But, but, but Jerry, I guess my question to you is, where we are in debt, how can we how can we possibly sustain nineteen trillion and 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 growing? How can we sustain that um, at all? Uh, and and when we, is there a drop dead date or a drop dead number for something like that? Well, I mean, when we say, well, first of all, we should probably clarify that debt number because we talked about it real briefly. That U.S. national debt number is the public debt. You know, it's the public debt. Uh, it's 19.2 trillion. But, you know, there's all kinds of debt figures, like you said. I mean, if you look at, you know, uh, like 
for example, you know, all the unfunded obligations. You know, you could say that's a hundred trillion, or you could say that's a hundred and forty trillion. It all, all depends how far you want to go out on the time frame. So, so you may hear somebody say, "Oh, you know, we're two hundred trillion dollars in debt," but what they're doing is, is they are extrapolating. Uh, between now and some future date, and you may not know what that future date that they're using is. So, so if I were to say the unfunded obligations or the unfunded liabilities that we presently owe, that we know we're on the hook for, that's a hundred trillion dollars, right? That is a lot of money. I mean, that is a lot of money. And uh, but but today, you know, that the stated public national debt is nineteen point two trillion, and that's completely unsustainable, of course. Uh, the problem is, is that until we change the system, you can't really change the debt because the the money itself or the currency itself, we should say more properly, is debt. And we've talked about that before, I think, where we talk about on the top of the dollar bill, it says Federal Reserve note, and that means that it's a piece of debt. So if the Federal Reserve issues more money to the government and the government then takes that money and then pays off the debt, then they have interest they got to pay back still. It's a big Ponzi scheme. But, okay, um, no, 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 hold that thought because let me, let me ask you a question. And not too many people have been able to answer, or not too many, I don't, I don't know anyone has answered this question. Okay, if this is nothing but a Ponzi scheme, and I believe it is, we all believe it is, what's to say, for example, if I was, if I was the president, for example, why couldn't I say, you know what, hey, Fed, this debt is illegal. It's immoral. It's anti. It, it's it's antithetical to the Constitution. It's not legitimate debt. Pound sand. What would happen? Well, Can we do that? <laughs> well, certainly. I mean, I guess you could. It would be similar to the you know to Washington saying something to Saudi Arabia, right along those same lines. It would be it would have similar impacts upon us if we were to say to the Fed that we're not paying back these dollars, we would not have dollars to use. I mean, and and the other the other crazy fact is is that if you did pay down the national debt, if you paid down the national debt, if everybody paid off all their debt. There wouldn't be any money left. That's according to the uh, that's the that's according to the Central Bank of Canada. Money is debt. If you pay all the debt, you have no money. It's money is debt. I mean, that's, that's the that's the most crazy concept that I learned in uh, uh, once I got out of college. They didn't teach me that in college. I learned that outside of college. That, that money itself. Just, yeah, I, I, I that, that blows my mind. That yeah. snap you heard was just. A vein popping in my head because it, yeah, <laughs> you're right. It, it, it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, it's uh, but, it's but, nonsense. Yeah, but but we couldn't go back, and I know we're short on time, but we couldn't go back to a uh, a constitutional based money supply where the treasury issues the the uh, coinage. And, sure, you and, could until sure until you the could. Fed to take take a leap. And, not without a not without huge repercussions. Yeah, I mean, no way, no way, not without huge repercussions. We we could and should, but we need to be ready for the repercussions, which will be huge. Yeah, that'd be a deadly uh, transition. I'd like Folks. to try that. Or, <laughs> write me in on this November. Hey, no. we're heading that way anyway, so we might as well get it over while we can. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on this Monday edition with Jerry Robinson, our guest, the author of Bankruptcy of a Nation, his website, ftmdaily.com. We're going to take your calls for, with Jerry on the other side, 844-769-2944. We'll be right back. This is the Global Star Radio Network. 
treat your city or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Folks, to this hour of the Hagman and Hagman Report, we're very pleased to have on as our special guest. Uh, uh, you know, he's one of my favorite people. Seriously, to to sit down and talk with. It, you're, if you're watching this, folks, you can see I'm holding up his book, um, Bankruptcy of Our Nation. Jerry Robinson, followthemoney.com. Very simply, followthemoney.com. That is what we used as an investigative mantra when we conducted fraud investigations. Real simple. Follow the money. That's all you have to do. Uh, followthemoney.com. That's the name of his website there. Some fantastic podcasts. I mean, um, just go to followthemoney.com and check out the podcast. That's <laughs> One that I, I listened to was with um, uh, Gerald Salini, but I will put it on in the background. If I'm not listening to uh, Whole Tones, I'll put, put, put uh, Jerry on in the background as well as others. He's one of the few programs I do listen to um, outside of ours. And I don't listen to ours actually, except for uh, for the assessment. Yeah. yeah, and the guests, and the, to, to catch what I didn't catch before, folks. We're going to take your calls. We're going to open up the lines. Here's the number to call in: eight four four seven six nine two nine four four. Let me give that out again: eight four four seven six nine two nine four four. I do ask. We do ask that you ask a question and let someone else get on and ask a question as well. So ask a question of the guest. Uh, if you can avoid pontificating, not that we don't want to hear it, it's just, uh, we have limited time. Okay. Now, before we get to the calls and before we get back, again, folks, I highly recommend this book, uh, Bankruptcy of a Nation. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. This has got some great information, topical of today, and certainly you can hear the, the education, the experience, the information, and even the inspiration of our guests. So, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Now, I'm going to come out swinging a little bit because we got we got about three or four emails here jerry saying man this guest sounds pretty wimpy a wimpy christian are you serious you know um how dare he uh one person says how dare he uh call me uh uh 
Hang on a minute. I'm going to try to get the exact words here. Not too happy here with you, with your guests. How dare you, how dare you call me a Muslim? I'm a Christian. Sounds like a wimpy Christian to me. Why don't we uh, address that before we take calls, if you don't mind? Well, sure. And, and I would say, what, what about what about what I said sounds wimpy? Well, go ahead and define that. Oh, I didn't say it. So. <laughs> oh, so somebody else did. Okay. Somebody else well, said, yeah. I would I would assume it would have to do with uh, whenever I had said that I wouldn't want to kill my my Christian brother. Uh, yeah, for, what would it for take? Any, any reason? Yeah, what would it take to kill my Christian brother? Yeah, I, I don't know if we ask that question enough. I mean, that question needs to be asked. Uh, first of all, is it okay to kill a Christian brother? Well, what pastor would what pastor would would say that's okay? Uh, is it okay to kill a Christian brother if he strikes you in the face? Is it okay if he steals your wallet? If, is it okay if he rapes your kid? Is it okay? what, 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 under what circumstances biblically do you have to pick up a gun and shoot your Christian brother? That's that's the question. And unless okay. we can find that it, unless we can find that in Scripture, all we have to go on is the fact that um, very not really not much at all. I think there is one verse that many people will appeal to. They'll talk about how Jesus uh, told his disciples just prior to being caught in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had told them to go and sell their cloak and get a sword. And if they did not have one, to sell their cloak and buy one. And that scripture, even though Christ then in the Garden tells Peter not to use it, it's very clear from that scripture what was going on. Jesus was not telling his followers to pick up knives and kill people. Uh, had he done that, we would see that in the scripture. We would see that all throughout. You would see Paul going across Europe, slashing any unbeliever across the chest with his knife and making sure that everyone obeyed what he had to say and did exactly what he wanted. And anybody who tried to step on his rights, he was going to kill with the knife. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, get a knife and, and follow me. When they get there, the Bible says, and in fact, if you read the context, Jesus says, um, it is important that we be found here and that uh, I be found amongst robbers and, uh, or I uh, uh, forget the exact phrase. He, he was found amongst uh, uh, sinners, in essence, in the garden. With them having swords, they fulfilled the scripture. Jesus does not tell us to kill our brother. Jesus does not tell us to kill our brother ever under any circumstances, never under any circumstances. And here's the thing, you know, when I think about uh, when when I think about this, I think about uh, what it would take for me to kill someone. There are causes that I would die for. I will say that, but there is not a single cause that I would kill someone for. There is no cause that I will kill someone for. I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. Jesus, now the American Jesus says kill people. The American Jesus says it's okay to kill your brother. It's okay to kill him if he wants to raise your taxes. It's okay uh, to overthrow the king. It's okay to return evil for evil to anyone you want to. But the uh, biblical, uh, but the biblical Jesus says no, no, no. He says no such thing. He says love your enemy, turn the other cheek, and follow me to the cross. Follow me to death, and do not care about your own life. That is the biblical Jesus. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, watch out. 
because there's going to be a bunch of me in the end days. There's going to be an American Jesus. There's going to be a Muslim Jesus. There's going to be an, uh, a Mormon Jesus. There's going to be the Jehovah's Witness Jesus. Believe uh, he, He's actually the Archangel Michael. The Mormons think Jesus is the brother of, of uh, Satan. Uh, Islam thinks that... It, that uh, uh, Jesus is one of the prophets, but he's not God. He wasn't actually uh, crucified. Didn't didn't raise uh, you know didn't wasn't crucified. And American Christians believe that Jesus it thinks that it's okay for them to kill their brothers, right? I mean, so you have all of these different Jesuses, but there's only one. There's only one Jesus, and he's found in the Bible, and he never, ever, ever under any circumstances ever in the scripture tells his followers to do any harm to anyone in fact what he does is exactly the opposite and says you know what I want you to lay down your life because you have something better on the other side of uh, eternity but today we've lost that message today we have the American Jesus he's a tougher Jesus he's a big Jesus he, he doesn't like Mexicans crossing the border he likes he likes to shoot people who cross the uh, national boundaries he supports uh, making sure that English is the official language and even though he said don't don't let them all speak the same language in Genesis 11 don't let them all speak the same language he really wants Americans to speak the same language. So in other words, you have this American Jesus that's been created. He is he is a uh, demonic spirit. He is the American Jesus. Just like Islam has a Jesus, just like Mormons have a Jesus, the American Jesus says, kill your enemy. I okay. do not agree yeah. with that. I do, I do not right. agree with that, uh, Jesus. I, I just want to make sure that people understand this. Now, folks, before you send off emails here, just understand fully what he's saying. Don't react, but respond and understand what, what Jerry's saying here. It's It's... It's this is an intellectual discussion, but I got to tell you something, Jerry. We had a case here in our town where a guy drove from Cleveland um, into our town and allegedly randomly um, broke in, forced his way in. It was a home invasion into a house, took a crowbar, killed the dog, killed uh, uh, killed the guy's wife, started beating on him with a, uh, the guy with a crowbar. The neighbor came out and shot the guy. All right, twice didn't kill him. If it had been me, I would have, I would have probably emptied my my, my uh, magazine into him. And probably reloaded. But having said that, if 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 somebody was coming up for my family, uh, and I don't know how you feel about this, but if somebody was coming through my door after my family to rape my wife, to to kill my children, to kill my dog, to do whatever, I got to tell you something, Jerry. That that man is going to be mowed down in a hail of lead, and then some. All right. Now, and I'm a Christian. I, I identify myself as a Christian. Right, wrong, or what scripture? No, what, what what scripture would you appeal to? Um. <laughs> I would say if the, the the best scripture that appeals to that is if uh, the man uh, would know when the robbers were coming, he would not suffer his house to be broken into. Obviously, that doesn't promote. Well, well wait a second. Wait a second. What scripture? That, though? I, I mean, I, I, is is does the Bible not tell us to, to? And I'm not trying to be argumentative here. This is an intellectual discussion. Does the Bible not tell us to to um, you know to, to protect? Our, our family to, to protect our, our loved ones to to protect the to be the man of the house. What scripture would you appeal to? To to I mean, I can tell you a sadder story than the one you told me. I can tell you about a man who was completely innocent. He didn't deserve death at all. He was a completely innocent man, and yet he was killed. And yet, when he was killed, he didn't do anything. He didn't lift a hand. He didn't lift a hand. And you know what? Because he didn't lift a hand, and even though he could have, he could have lifted. He told. He told Pilate, you know what, I could call a thousand angels, right? 
I, he, all this could be done. But power had been given to Pilate to do this deed. And Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to lay down my life. And all he told me, all he told me to follow him. That's the only command I got. Now, protecting my family, i got to look at that through the lens of the Bible. Does that mean that protecting my family I shouldn't do? No, of course not. That's not what it means. But what it means is, is the very first priority I have as a Christ follower is to say, what would Jesus have me do, right? What would he have me do? Not what, what not would the American Jesus have me do. What, what would my church have me do? What would my, you know, what would my parents want me to do? What does Jesus want me to do? And yeah. I think that oftentimes he uses acts like that to make himself look better. You know, I think about what happened in the Emmanuel Church, the, the terrible the violence that occurred in the Emmanuel Church in, uh, uh, Charleston. You know, the white supremacist shooter who went in and killed nine churchgoers. And I remember hearing, you know, pastors coming out and saying, only if only they had a gun, they could have killed that guy and sent him right back to where he belonged. And again, out of the same mouth, they say, and we don't believe in an eye for an eye, right? That's only what Trump believes. In other words, they don't have a... a cohesive message the american christians don't they, they 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 hate their enemy when it's convenient they love him whenever it's convenient that's not what jesus said to do he said to follow me in what he did it's a hard thing man it's a hard thing and i'm i'm no expert at it i'm just saying that's what he said and that's who i follow so unless i have a scripture that says kill your enemy kill somebody who raises your taxes kill somebody who kills your wife kill somebody who breaks your arm kill somebody who you don't like Unless I've got direction, I have to listen to the Spirit of God. And sometimes, sometimes, the Spirit of God wants us to take um, what is happening and let God make something great out of it. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus. That's exactly what he did with Stephen. That's exactly what he did with Paul. That's exactly what he did with Peter. I'm not going to try to improve on what they did. I'm not going to try to go out like Rambo uh, whenever somebody's trying to take me out or my 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 uh, wife out. I will respond with the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know what I would do. If I shot them, I would have to seek forgiveness. All right. Well, All right. We appreciate your uh, conjecture and... and uh, your insight on this, Jerry. If you don't mind, we're going to go to the to the calls. We have a few callers lined up, and uh, folks, we're taking questions for Jerry at eight four four seven six nine two nine four four. We just ask that you try to keep them quick. We're going to go first to Joe in California. Joe, you're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report with Jerry. Joe, you there? Hello, Joe. Should we hit the right button? Yep. I'll hit it again. All right, I'm going to put you back on hold, Joe. We'll come back to you. We're going to go to Robert in Georgia. Robert, you're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Hi there. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Well, good. Listen, I have really appreciated uh, the discussion and certainly Jerry Robinson and things he's been doing in this consistency in terms of... Uh, um, Christian living with respect to Christ. I just wanted to ask you, Jerry, um, one of the things it seems to me is that um, Christians today have confused the kingdom of God with the second coming, and that when Christ said that the kingdom of God uh, is within you, and he was talking to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is already here, 
And when Christ comes again, he's coming to judge the world. The court date's done. He's waiting for the, for the coming for the judgment. So the, but the kingdom of God is here. So it was interesting that you said that about the city. Uh, when Christ talks uh, to the women well, of the well about uh, worshiping in spirit and in truth, no longer a geographical location to worship God any longer. And I'm just curious about your tying together the kingdom of God, uh, which is here now that we're supposed to be living as you're instructing or, or talking about tonight, and the second coming. Mm. Wow, that's a that's an interesting topic. Uh, I. I don't know how well I can piece those together. Um, the the kingdom of God, I believe, the way I read the Bible, and of course everybody reads the Bible through their own eyes, uh, every translation is an act of interpretation, and there are many different uh, versions of the Bible, uh, in New International Version, New Living Translation, so you get different things out of each one of them, sadly. But, but when you take a look at the actual Bible, you know you see that Jesus has a kingdom and he has a city. You know, uh, God has a kingdom. He has a city. And so he wants to deliver his kingdom to the people, and he wants to deliver his city to the people. That seems to be the overarching theme. When we look at the beginning of the book, we see that there was a garden. There was a somewhat of a kingdom of God reigning in the, in the Garden of Eden. But when man is ejected from that, God immediately tells him, out of grace, he says, spread out, spread out, spread out. Don't, ca- don't congregate. Don't get too close to each other. This is not going to be good. And so he tries to spread them out, and they keep coming back together, and he keeps spreading them out, and they keep coming back together. Well, today, that's all we have. I mean, uh, 87% of America lives in the, in the urban centers. Uh, 13% of Americans live in the rural areas. That's what happens uh, in modern capitalism. So today, the majority of people are moving into the cities, they're taking on massive amounts of student loan debt, and they are then trying to get a corporate job, and then they're trying to pay their bills, and they're trying to keep keep pace of all this stuff. And what that what that lifestyle does is that it prohibits and inhibits the ability for us to be free and for us to follow the commands of God to do what He's called us to do. Instead, we lock ourselves into the city. We lock ourselves into corporate America. And we are stuck. We are stuck with a mortgage. The mortgage in uh, Latin is two words, uh, which means death and grip, mork and gauge. It's two words. It means death, grip. And so that's literally what a mortgage is. You know, so people have mortgages. They, have, they get weighed down with credit card debt. They get weighed down with student loans. And the best that they can do is just go down to the local church on Sunday and uh, throw a few bucks in the, in the, uh, in the uh, plate to pay off the pastor. And that's and the, the pastor has to make them feel as if they've done something good for doing that. So it, it's kind of an exchange that happens today. It's very, very bizarre, very different from the first century. That's not how things were, but that's how things are today. So I would say that the city inhibits uh, the expression of the kingdom through Christ followers. And I would say that in many ways um, uh, we would be better off by simply having some distance from this. We, we expose our children to so many things. I tell you what, I cannot believe the things that are on, um, on, the, on the computer and on the television whenever I have my son around. You know, I, I guess I've become blind to so much of the stuff, but whenever my, my young son is near, I begin to see all of these things and I realize, my gosh, our brains, our eyes, our spirits are being attacked on a daily basis and we're so used to it. But when we see children, we're like, oh, don't let them see the, don't let them see what we see, right? As if we're somehow immune to it. I think we have really got ourselves in over our heads 
Now, we've bought into capitalism. We've bought into the concept of democracy. Look, there is a kingdom that we should be talking about. God wants his people talking about his kingdom. He's excited about his kingdom. That's why he came. And he said, the gospel of this kingdom shall go forth to all the nations. So what I'm talking about tonight is the gospel of the kingdom. And, uh, and I think in the cities, you face unique, special challenges that God tried to warn us in his mercy and grace early on in the book of Genesis. Um, and we just don't learn. We just continue to congregate in, uh, in, in tiny, tiny spaces. We continue to build structures to ourselves to make ourselves feel great. And in the end, all we have done is we've put a huge fig leaf over our vulnerable areas, thinking that somehow God doesn't see our wretchedness. Somehow he doesn't see our weakness. And he doesn't see how we haven't really done anything at all except a run further and further away from him. So I think what many people consider today to be human progress actually to be the progression of human sin. Um, and, th and that's how I see it. Yeah, I, so, I guess so. I agree. I, what, what, what I, um, what you're essentially saying, I guess, is that, and what I was asking you about, was the fact that we should be living the kingdom. That's one of the glorious things about being a child of God is that it doesn't matter what your economic uh, situation is, what your ethnic origin is, what what century, what country you're living in, you can still live for Christ and to be faithful to what He calls us to do, like in Luke 14, and uh, and and that's that that's what I have uh, enjoyed. Enjoyed hearing about uh, about what you're saying tonight. So, uh, Lord bless you, and I won't take any more of your time. And thanks for your for your answer. And and uh, Joe and Doug, y'all uh, y'all keep at it, praying for you all the time, and thankful for your for your work. God bless you, friend. Thank you, thank you, Robert. Have a great night, folks. Again, we're talking with Jerry Robinson, uh, author, uh, economist, and so much more. The number, if you want to weigh in, is eight four four seven six nine. 2944. There's still some slots open if you want to weigh in. We're going to go to Charles in North Carolina next. Charles, welcome to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report with Jerry Robinson. What's on your mind? Yeah, hi, hi. My name is Charles Brown. I'm about, this is about the last couple of years I've been listening to him. I'm a black American. I'm a retired United States Army military. Okay, uh, I listened to your guest on that, uh, on the step. He says, uh, he can't find a scripture for, to be able to defend yourself. But if you go, if you go, if you go, uh, Genesis chapter 14 start a verse, what, 7 or 17? It tell you about how, how Lot was taken captive by the king, you know, uh, by the king that just conquered Solomon and Gomorrah, and he, uh, Abraham basically took his 318 son with swords and went and, re and retrieved Lot back from him. So, uh, so I just kind of didn't agree with what he was saying there. Well, Charles, uh, what we're talking about is the Old Testament versus the New Testament and um, the way Jesus laid out the uh, instructions for a you know, you know, God, you know, obedient Jesus is God. life. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, absolutely. Jesus is God, and you know, you know, you know what God said? God said, I have not, God said, I haven't changed. God has never changed. So, you know, Charles, do, do, so thing, Charles, Charles, do you follow the Old Testament to the letter? Is, is that what you do? Yes, I do. I call it all that to the lover. And you know, and you know what? I can have the same thinking that you that you have right there. But you know, God gave me a dream. Okay, and, and God knows I'm telling you the truth. This is a dream the Lord gave me. I got my, my kids are grown. I got two daughters, but I got like three grandsons. God gave me a dream. Okay, and I, he, I, he showed me. And he had a, he had an AR-15 in, in my, my every one of my grandsons' hand. He showed me that to me. You know, he was basically telling me, you know what? All this stuff is going on in this country. So you, know, you got to be prepared to defend yourself and your family. That's that's what's coming. Okay. 
You know, I ain't saying go against the government. I'm saying to be a finger set. You know, you got Islamic terrorists in this country. You got everything else. You make it, I mean, we're gonna be in a total chaos in a little bit. So, God wants you. He right. wants you to just lay down your life for nothing. Okay. You know, I completely. It's not his will for us to go to no term, no no uh, re-education camp. That's not God's will. I'm also a prophet, so you know what? That's not God's will. Okay, for us to, to go to a, no no uh, re-education camp. That's not of God. That's not that's, that's not even of our constitution. So how, how can well, you do I, that? Right? That's crazy. I, 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 I don't know about the re-education camps. I don't know about that. But I know right now that uh, if you're following the Old Testament, then you probably put your children to death. If they talk back to you, because Exodus twenty-one fifteen says, "Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death." Ezekiel, or I'm sorry, Exodus twenty-one seventeen says, "He who curses his father or mother shall surely be put be put to death." Uh, are you okay with somebody killing your your kid? Like if you're if if he talks back to you, is that okay? Change that. So you know, but but he's not saying that that they are allowed to get cut down by 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 this craziness in this world. Okay, God wants you to think yourself. Okay. Now, you know, if you was if somebody out there murder your sister, your brother, and you really can't do nothing about that, okay? You know, what I hear is, you know what, God said, okay, he said, base revenge belongs to him. But you know what? Defending yourself, defending your family, defending your property, that's all God, God believes. That's, that God has never changed that, okay? You know, if you don't speak about it in the New Testament, because you know what? That hasn't changed, sir. That have not changed. All that stays I tell the same. You, I tell don't, you, don't, if don't you took the devil, if, if, see, the devil wants an easy fight. He wants you to if, if, from him. He wants you to lay down and say he can cut you down. He won't. If people like you, if people like you who want their grandkids walking around with AK 47s or whatever, if you guys would pay more attention to the New Testament and less to the Old, you know, it would be a really good thing. The other thing is, it's very possible that you're confused about what religion you are. Because if you really think that Jesus is okay with you and your kids killing people in his name, then you definitely have the wrong religion. And hold that thought, guys and, and, and callers. And, and here's here's why. And Charles, I put you on hold. So yeah. And here's why this is. I, I I'm okay with this discussion. And just follow me. Follow this logic. How many people tonight, after this discussion, are going to go to their Bibles, maybe for the first time in weeks, months, or even years, and look for scriptures? about this topic we are actually i mean this is why i like this because this is causing people to go back to the word if nothing else don't believe what i say please don't believe what the caller says don't believe what callers or the guest says or callers say or go, go to your bibles and if if nothing else if this if this does nothing more if this topic does nothing more than causes you to dust off your bibles and to look and read the word of god the mission accomplished jerry do you agree with that absolutely and i want to be be the first to say that you know i am you know i am just like everybody else i mean i i, I when i when i say that that's what jesus says that's all i'm saying i mean if if i go back and start trying to keep the old testament i'm going to have my hands full because Remember what James says, that if you don't keep the whole thing, then you might as well not keep it at all. And so I cannot keep the old covenant. That's what the Bible clearly said. In the New Testament, Jesus tells me to ascend above the madness. He calls me out of this mess. He says, listen, you're going to be in the world, but you're not going to be of the world. You're going to confound the world because you're not like the world. What the world is like is killing. 
What the world is like is murder. We know what the, we know what the Bible says the world is. We read about it in Ephesians 4, uh, verses, uh, you know, 31. We read, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you all in, in, in all malice. You know, we also read, uh, several places where the Bible tells us to turn the other cheek. We also read in the Bible constantly how it says to return evil for evil to no one. Those are scriptures. They're not hypotheticals. They're not, they're not things that I can say, well, what if this happens? I'm saying that's what the Bible says, right? And that's exactly what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. And so unless there is a scripture that says kill your enemy, then there, there really is nothing else to talk about. And you can have dreams about how you know your kids hold AK-47s, but again, I, I don't know how that's biblical. I mean, what verse would you possibly point to, and who would you want to kill? Who would you want to kill? This is the question. Who, who are these people wanting to kill? Are they wanting to kill people who come after them? Are they that fearful? Do they not trust God? This is a, this is a uh, religion of faith, right? Christianity is faith. It's not fear. It's not I got to kill them before they kill me. It's not I got to kill them before they put me in a concentration camp. It's I have to follow Christ. And if you do not follow Christ, then you do not call yourself a Christ follower. That's the whole point. Uh, we have too many people today walking around saying they follow Jesus and they hate their enemy. The Bible says if you do not love your brother, right? If you do not love your fellow man, do not even claim that you love God. It's just it not possible, states, is what the Bible says. If you're angry at another, you are guilty of murder. Just as if you lust after another woman with your eyes, you have committed adultery. Charles, I'm going to bring you back on uh, for your final thought, question, comment to Jerry, and then we got to get on to other callers. I mean, so, did, uh, did, did, you want to did Israel defend itself? Israel defend itself in the shield today. There's no difference, sir. There's no difference, okay? Now you can believe that you want to. I'm telling you, it's not, that, ain't, that ain't coming from God. That's not coming from God right there. Charles, God bless you. Thank you for your call. We're going to move on. We got to go to Joe next in California. He's got back on the line after he got dropped off. Joe, you're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Hey, um, Hagman's knowing I'm the guy. I'm not Christian, but I listen to the show religiously, and I know a lot of occult stuff. The reason I'm calling, I have a quick question, but I want to say to the to the guest, Jerry, you make a lot of sense with being uh, understanding, loving, caring, uh, non-judging of gays, of um, killing other people. Um, I find that to be more Christ-like. But again, this is coming from a non-Christian, so I just want to let you know you make sense. My question is this. I've heard in some of the occulted areas that money is called money because it's like mono-eye. Like, it's it's word magic for mon-eye, mono-eye. Have you heard that before? Uh, I can't say I have. I can't say I have. I, I, know, that, I know that in the Hebrew, uh, the word for money is the same word for silver. It's kesef. Uh, but I, but, but it, so, so money and silver are interchangeable in the Scripture, but I don't know anything about that, no. Yeah, I had, I had heard that, and that makes a lot of sense to me, because That's I know a lot of people. Yeah, they, they, you know, money has become their religion, and one of the uh, one of the meanings of religion, the etymology, is relig the Latin religare, meaning to bind or hold back. So, when I sorry, I'm out of breath. I'm walking my dog. So, <laughs> uh, 
when I uh, when I heard that about money, you know how with certain word magic they'll just drop letters. It'll still be the same word, but because language is kind of demonic in a lot of ways, they can do stuff like that, and it'll still have that occulted uh, effect on people because they'll say, "Oh, money, money, money." Well, they're really saying mono I, mono I, or like the etymology of government being gubernare mente, which is, uh, gubernare is the Latin for control, and mente is the Latin for mental or mind, so it's you're literally, every time you say government, you're saying mind control. So I just didn't know if money was the same thing. Yeah, I've, I've, never, heard, I've never heard that, I'm sorry, but that's, that is interesting commentary. Yeah, it's a little weird. Anyway, I think you, you you are very evolved. Thank you, guys. Hey, uh, Joe, one real quick question. You say you're not a Christian. Uh, do, do you own a Bible? Um, I actually don't. Can we? Can we look, if you uh, send us your your postal address, we will gladly send you one. If you promise, to, just to, just to read it. Send it uh, studio at hagmanandhagman dot com. Okay. We're not asking you. We're not asking you to convert. We're just asking you to read it. No, and don't get me wrong. I believe a lot of what you guys are talking about. You, Steve Quayle, everybody, you make a lot of sense. But this guest in particular happens to be—he's uh, pretty a pretty evolved man, really following Christ. Again, in my opinion, I don't know about other people, right. but in mine. So, well, thank right, you guys. Thank you guys you. rule. Right. Remember, you, you guys are the best. Keep walking your dog, buddy. Thanks, Joe. You have a I good will. night. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. We're going to go next to Terry in West Virginia. Terry, you're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report with Terry. Oh, hello. Um, I'm very interested in what uh, Mr. Robinson has to say, and I do agree with many things that he has said tonight, and I believe the most important thing is love, because without love, then we are not true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, without love, then our faith is worthless. But... I have a question for him, and I um, have always wondered about this because it says in Luke twenty-two thirty-six, he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Now, what? how would you relate that to um, Christians today? and how they are supposed to respond to that. I mean, we're supposed to respond in love. I think I would rather be shot than shoot someone, but also, if my daughter or my granddaughter or grandson were being murdered or raped or something like that, I would have a very hard time not trying to protect them. And I, and I would just love to know how you feel about that. And, and oh yeah, sure. And, and and I certainly don't want to sound like I wouldn't have a hard time too. I don't know what I would do. I'm just I'm throwing it out. I know that I probably shouldn't. That's what the Bible says. But I really got to say that as a Christian, I'm sharing with you and others that this is what I see in the Bible. And but I tell you what, if if I'm looking at Luke 22 verse 36, I go ahead uh-huh. and I go one more verse. So yep. if you read 30, okay. do you see what 37 says? Do you have it handy? Uh, or? No, I don't actually. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so, okay, so thirty-seven says. So here's the context. So thirty-six, uh, Jesus is, uh, you know, they're getting ready to head to the garden, uh, and he says to his disciples, "But now, whoever has a money belt, 
uh, is to take it along, and likewise also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. Period. Now the next verse. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. Quote. Here's the. Here's what must be fulfilled. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. In other words, if and these guys are not caught with knives, they will not be viewed as transgressors. Now take a look at this in verse 38, the very next verse. It says, they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. Now think, you got 13 guys, two swords. These aren't huge long swords. These are little fishing swords. And apparently, uh, he says to them, that's enough. So that means that for every 13 Christians, two swords, small fishing swords, would be sufficient to pull this off. Because, see, he, he knew that he wasn't going to have them pull out those swords and start killing people. He said right there in the very next verse, here's why you have to have a sword, because I have to be numbered with transgressors. I love Bible prophecy. And he yeah, fulfilled and Bible. He, he, and, and he made sure the Bible prophecy was fulfilled by having them have swords on them at that very yeah. moment. Not, be, not before, not before, but right then. Right. And then. if you look in Matthew in the story where he says, "Sell your cloak and buy a sword," they go up to the garden, and Peter cuts the ear off of a Roman soldier. And this is where the next uh, reference to the sword comes in, where Jesus says, uh, "You know, put up your swords, for all those who kill by the sword shall be." Die by, the, or all those who who kill by the sword will die by the sword. Put your sword right. up. Okay. And, and that's well, why you know, that really now. helped me. I, I understand that more clearly now, and because I know many people that I am uh, associated with are saying, uh, I know many people that are gun carriers. And in fact, West Virginia, you know, pretty soon will be you. Anyone can carry a gun without being licensed or anything, which I think is a big mistake. But um, And it, so it just makes you wonder um, how this is all going to, you know, be fulfilled. And I just hope and pray that I will never have to uh, be a part of something that would take somebody's life or uh, Amen. Amen. be associated with something like that. I think, and, I think that's, a, really that's a wonderful attitude. has really helped me. Yeah, thank you. And I think that's a wonderful attitude. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful attitude. I, I really thank you for saying that and for asking the question and being so sincere in it because it is one of those topics that doesn't get talked about a lot, and it, and it is something that we could find ourselves in. And we want to honor our king, not our not our nation, uh, when we make decisions. Right. And so our, our king is Jesus, and these, this is what he said. And so I, I, I'm with you. I, I wrestle with that same thing. If I think about you know somebody coming after my family, of course, I, my first instinct is to protect, but your first instinct isn't always the godly instinct. Correct. That's right. Well, I thank you so much, and I, I've really enjoyed your um, talk tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Uh -huh. All right. We're going to move next to Christina in Florida. Christina, thanks for holding your live on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Hi guys, I guess I'm gonna keep it in tow here. I, that's why I called in because of his statement about the um the, the weapons. That, I mean, I, I have an issue with it too. Like Carrie, if I'm here and somebody's coming in to harm or rape me, and my granddaughter. I mean, not out of hate, but out of love, I'm gonna do whatever I gotta do to protect her. Not necessarily me, but her. You know, I mean. 
I don't get it. I guess Jesus said, put up your sword. He didn't say, give it up. You know, yeah, he was numbered with the transgressors, not even in, only in the garden, but also on the cross. I mean, I, I don't get, you know, not providing protection as well as food, shelter, and everything for your family. And that's all I want to say, and I'll take my answer offline, off the phone. Thank you. Thank you for your call, Christina. And we will enter, uh, yeah, I, I think what she's, uh, what, what she, you know, what she's saying is the same exact thing. It is absolutely the hardest thing because we live in a, we live in a country where there are more guns than there are individuals. There are more guns in America than there are individuals. So there's a lot of guns around. It's, and, and, you know, that's, that's a problem in some ways. I mean, if you have a lot of guns, you're probably going to have a, you know, you're going to have some problems eventually. And so, uh, I understand her perplex, perplex nature, and I think that's exactly what we are supposed to do. I think when we get too comfortable in our theology, when we start acting as if we have all the answers, and you know, there's, you know, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do it this way, and we're going to do it that way, and God's going to like it the way we do it, and that's just how it's going to be because that's how it is. I think that's a real wrong attitude to start if you're if you're a Christ follower. I think the right attitude is to say. You know, I certainly don't want to do anybody any harm. I don't want to hurt anybody. Uh, and I want to know God's will on this. And I simply uh, threw something out. But you can see uh, what I said is, is true in the fact that American Christians uh, are among the most violent bunch in, in the country, or in the world for that matter. Uh, a lot of bloodthirst in American Christians. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not unbelievers have a hard time understanding that because they look at Jesus and then they look at the American church and they're like, gosh, I love Jesus, but I don't like his follower. I don't like his fans. I've never met any sinner that doesn't like Jesus. I'm sure I know there are some out there, but I know a lot of guys who are atheists. They love, they think Jesus is great. They, they don't like his fans. They don't like his followers. They don't like the guys who follow around and, and don't do what he said to do. If, if we, Yes. If we if we lived like Jesus, right, and see people say, well, we can't do that. Well, of course we can do that. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to be the second Adam. He came to model the way for us. He can't. He said, follow me. Well, why would he do that if we couldn't do it? He, we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we follow him, you would expect, you know, you would expect in that time and that that time frame, with all the persecution that was going on and all the terrible government problems that were going on, Rome killing Christians, persecuting Christians. My gosh, you walk into a Target today, and if they don't say Merry Christmas to you, there's a whole Christian legal defense industry ready to help you. That's sick. That's sick. That is unbelievably sick. We should not be wasting our time suing corporation, for-profit corporations to make them into our image. We have a job to do, and that is we have got to go tell people about the kingdom of God, and we've got to stop trying to make everybody else fit our definition of what they should be. These people are sinners. If they are not part of the church, if they are not part of, uh, if they're not following Christ, then we should have no expectation of them. If Christians would lose their expectation of sinners, sinners might be more enticed to listen to our message, and we would have a lot more hair and a lot lower blood pressure. And, and that's all. Karen, you there? Hello? Yeah? 
Did you, right. Are you taking my call? Went out for yeah. Uh, our, we're I'm just, sorry, our uh, last caller dropped. And we are under uh, we oh. are under uh, uh, our network is under attack here. So you know. Oh, totally. I've been on chat, and you guys are keep going in and out. And what I wanted to say was the last hour before this even started with your uh, guest and caller, we were arguing the same thing back and forth about um, weapons and. I was saying, show me the scripture, because he said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And it went the same way. People were showing the Old Testament, and then somebody brought up Luke about the purse and all that. So, But my thought is, Jesus is not of this world. And in John 18.36, it says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. That's John 18.36. And Jesus said to him, this is Matthew 28.52, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. And I think he's trying to teach us about eternity, the eternal kingdom. And he didn't love his life unto death. And he's trying to, we live in the world, and Satan's kingdom is of this world. So we're living in this world that we see around us, which is physical, and Satan's, you know, pulling out worldly weapons, guns, swords, bombs, whatever. Jesus just has a whole other concept of what his kingdom is. And he's bringing his kingdom to us and saying, my kingdom is not of this world. He's trying to teach us a concept that most people can't grasp. Um... He's yeah. using spiritual weapons. He uses the Word of God. He's not using... Because to him, the natural body is not what matters. I mean, that's the way I take it. Um, and then I it think says you're where, exactly right. We are in the world, not of the world, as, as the Bible says, and as Jerry referenced earlier. And we are called to be um, heavenly-minded while we are living on this earth. And regard and this earth to pass away and to look forward to his coming with the new heaven and new earth. And people were getting very testy because they're like, I'll protect my kid and I'll go down fighting. And, you know, I, I feel like, yes, I would, I could hopefully die for my faith, but I don't think I could kill for my faith. That's just me. I'm not saying that other people shouldn't do that. I don't know. But I think and, he's and just trying to he, teach. Karen, and, and just let me say this again, okay, because I, I think this is so important. If nothing else, if this discussion causes people to go to their Bibles and to look, search the Scriptures, and, and, and study the Word of God about this particular subject, if nothing else comes from this, and you don't have to agree with Jerry, you don't have to agree with me, because i got to tell you, I don't agree with Jerry, but I don't have to, and he, he certainly doesn't have to agree with me. But but you know no, what? At the end of the day, we're we are Christians. We worship the same God, right? Yeah. And, and we're talking. We're having an intellectual discussion. So if this cause, if this discussion does nothing more than causes Christians to look at their Bibles and say, "Well, what does the Word of God say?" Then mission accomplished to a large degree, right? So that's what we were doing. I'm like, show me scriptures. The scriptures were flying back and forth. But the other thing, too, is a lot of people say, oh, Satan isn't real. But Satan does have a kingdom. Again, going to scripture, Matthew 12, 26 through 28. It's, he says, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? He says he has a kingdom. So, there. I mean, I'm always trying to use the scripture to back up whatever I say. I mean, what I feel about things might be different. But what does the what does the word say about it? 
So I think anyway. I think that's I think you just nailed it. I mean, we have feelings, we have strong feelings, and we have feelings that have been crafted by the culture that we're in. I mean, if you're in if you're in uh, Zimbabwe. You know, you have different reactions to things than you do in other countries. We are trained by our culture how to respond. But God will never judge us based upon our culture. He promises that. He says that he will judge us based upon his word. There's only one measurement. He's not going to look around the United States and say, what did your pastor say about killing your enemies? Did he say it was okay? Oh, okay, well, that's fine. No, he's going to use one measurement, one standard. He's going to look at his Bible, and he's going to say, what did I tell you to do? And if if we did not respond to what he told us to do. And I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about trusting Jesus and then losing our identity in Jesus and right. uh, fully fully finding ourselves in Jesus. Then we're not of him. Uh, and that's what we have to be very careful of today. As Christians, we need to be mature and realize that there's a lot of, lot of false doctrine and that there's a lot of deception. Many people believe we're living in the very, very last of the last days. And if that's the case then deception should be at an all-time high. Satan should be working overtime right now. And if I were him, I would probably be working smack dab in the middle of the church to render them ineffective. One way to render them ineffective is to make them gun-loving, gun-toting people who are not interested in witnessing to brown people, but are interested in killing brown people. That's a real quick way to to, to, uh, uh, demonize well, the other thing, too, is Satan loves division. And if this can cause a division, he's just happy. Hey, we're all fighting good. He can go bother some other set of Christians that's not fighting. I mean, that's his goal. He divides. He's, he's the deceiver. So if we can fight over guns, oh, let them fight it out over guns. He's very clever. Yeah, he's, he's I mean, not going after he non-believers. He just knows how to make us fight. Right. He's not going after no, non-believers, he's going after and he's not us. going after those who, whose souls are already in his control. Right. And he's, fight, and he's on your site. He's attacking your site. I mean, there's been trolls and trolls, and the, and the, the oh, screaming keeps going off. It's like, well, that's, know. you know, we, you know you're doing good when Satan attacks you. I always say, hey, bring it on. Bring it on. We got Jesus. We can fight, you know. So if he wasn't Amen, bothering Karen. us, you wouldn't be effective. So, Absolutely. anyway. We're already fighting okay, for a well, position thanks of victory. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, thanks for calling. Nice. Have a good night. We got one more call, Jerry. This is Tim. I do not know where he's from. I'm going to bring him on air now. Tim from the Ethernet, you're up. <laughs> you're live on the Hagman Hagman Report. The Ethernet of Michigan. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we got a few minutes left. That's right next to the, 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 the yes, sir, right next uh, to Detroit. All right. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> this yeah, the subject's gone as far as I, I, when I read of the Bible, I can't quote your passages, but. God saying about his soldiers that went and fought a good fight in their death and what honorable people they were for going and fighting for God. There's a difference when you, if you fight and you're fighting the right fight, and if you're fighting a fight for God, I think God would give you whatever it would take to defeat evil. And if that's a gun, then so be it. But that's just my thought on that. Amen, Tim. And in God, and one of the things I hear most used against Christians about the Bible being full of all this, uh, you know, murder and all this, God sent his, the Israelites in to kill non-human humans. <laughs> Not non-human humans, but uh, the giants. Yes. And he killed the whole village, man, women, and children. Human hybrids, yep. That's right. 
and those hybrids are coming back. And if people are going to get the message that, oh, you know, don't kill your fellow brother, they aren't going to be your fellow brother. They're going to be hybrids again. They're going to be the Nephilim. They're going to be the super soldiers that are going to come back, and by not just one or two, by the thousands. And these are the people that we're going to have to fight. And I think our our father. But by, by, by the way, none of, by the way, none of what you said is in the Bible. I just want to make sure you know that. Not nothing that you've said so far is in the Bible. That the return of the Nephilim, the return of the hybrids are not coming back. Like the days of nothing Noah. about nothing about us Daniel, having. The, yeah, yeah, we don't have try, to kill. God has not called not us please. to kill. God has not called us to kill anybody. He's not called us to kill anybody. In the past, there is the, there is no command to New Testament Christians to kill anybody, uh, sure, even I think if they're what Nephilim. The saying is that the yeah, Nephilim Jesus, are returning. And also, she, and that's right. The Nephilim are going to return. And, uh, well, I, I I don't know how I don't know how the Nephilim returning means that I shouldn't follow Christ and love my brother. I mean, I I don't think that should mean I don't think the Nephilim returning means that I should disregard Christ's words to me that says, uh, you know, return evil for evil to no one. And all of and these commands, I kill you, a Nephilim you, with physical you, weapons. You, you, you can't erase the entire New New Testament. See, this is the problem. No, Christians no. But why to, did Je- why did Jesus say about the Old Testament? He did not come to change the law. He came. He did come to change the law. He didn't come so, to change the Old Testament. So, so, he came so are to you straightening out the people? He came to straighten the people out that they were being deceived by the Pharisees that were using the Old Testament to corrupt them. Do you think and it's okay to do you think it's okay to stone your kids if they talk back because that's the Old Testament? Would you support that? No. Uh, no. Well, how come you but don't support the Old the, Testament? It says it in the it says in the Bible you should stone your your child if he talks back to you. Why would you not support the Old Testament? I wouldn't. It says it right it there. Because Jesus taught us, didn't he? That no, he said, "Let he who is without sin cast the first stone." But you're saying that you need to have a gun ready to kill Nephilim. And and you're just saying that we shouldn't pick up the first stone and cast it against people. This doesn't make any sense. What we need to do is we need to listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus has the answer. The answer is not a gun. The answer is not violence. The answer is not fear. The answer is not to fight the Nephilim. The answer is to follow Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That That's the Amen, answer. Jerry. And just the answer is not, Tim- it's, it's not to kill our brothers. I had to drop you, Tim, more at the last uh, 30 seconds of the show. Jerry, I want to thank you for being a great sport and for sharing your personal insight and, and feelings and, and convictions and beliefs. I could just see and, him tonight and, going down the list of shows, Hagman and Hagman. No, I'm going to cross that one off. <laughs> but, uh, no, no, you I, are I love, a very inspiring. And thank you for upholding uh, uh, the words of Jesus, uh, our Savior. Uh, and, and God bless you. And hey, continue pick up a Bible. Doing. Folks, look. Don't take our word for it. Don't take Jerry's word for it. Don't take Eric the Tech's word for it. Certainly not. Amen, brother. You know, the allthemoney.com, get his book, Bankruptcy of Our Nation, and look for his uh, newsletter, sign up for his newsletter, look for his podcast, and his upcoming interviews, as well as his work uh, as far as writing is concerned. Jerry, thank you so much. Tomorrow night, the Bundy family. Later. Yes. This Have a good night, the Global everyone. Star Radio Network. The Genesis.